and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagman Report for today. It is Tuesday, July 17th, 2018. Uh, welcome to the Hagman Report. My goodness, uh, so many headlines to get into. It's amazing when you look at the headlines. Facebook, fascist book, which is why we have not actually been posting on this venue. It's amazing that, uh, in case you haven't heard, uh they cannot explain, for example, why they chose to leave up a page calling for the assassination of a pro-life Republican congressman. Huh. Maybe somebody paid for the ad. Yeah. Um, then, of course, we have all of the issues surrounding President Donald Trump, uh, President Donald Trump's trip. You've got the issues with respect to the collusion, uh, the Mueller uh, investigation. This is day 595 of the Donald Trump presidency, 426 days under fire by the special counsel as we speak. And the the blowback from the deep state is absolutely incredible at this point. We have to watch what, what's taking place. And I would say this, the um, deep state is really running a lot of interference against mm-hmm. our president and against our nation, Joe. Well, you know, uh, I asked Eric if we could play uh, a really great video montage that yeah. Newsbusters has put, has put together, and I didn't get a chance to listen to it till I got to the studio today. And my goodness! So, just because President Trump sat down and met with President of Russia, Putin, yes, yes. they w- they called it an abomination. They called it treason. <laughs> They, they, they were nauseous. They couldn't open their ketchup bottle. I mean, youth would think, I, I mean, what can you compare it to? He would, he met with a leader of another foreign country, which has been recognized as an ally since the end of the Cold War by people like Obama, John Kerry, and Brennan himself. Look, we know, for example, countries like Russia, like China, have interfered in our electoral election process. We understand that. However, uh, and we also understand, too, the uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. If you go back to the fall of the Soviet Union, well, how can I put this? This is not a simple geopolitical arena in which we operate. Yet, um, now, we do have good versus evil. Good ver- I mean, good versus bad, of course, but biblically speaking, it's it's very simple. Biblically speaking, good versus evil. But from a geopolitical standpoint, you're dealing with a president who is exercising diplomacy with Russia. Yeah, six thousand five hundred I mean, nuclear warheads that Russia's got pointed at us and our allies. So when you look at this entire process, you have to understand pretty much that. It's the duty of the President of the United States to meet with uh, yes. Putin. And, so, and yeah. the only issue I see with the whole situation was something that Donald Trump said that he 
uh, said mistakenly. And the only reason he mistakenly confused the words collusion with meddling, in my opinion, is because the constant, uh, you know, drumbeat of the mainstream media, the deep state, and their lies, their conspiracy theories, and, and their, their manufactured, uh, investigations. And I don't even know what the remark was. He meant to say meddling. And he said collusion. That's, or one or the other. Whatever. But this is, um, what, this is all the news media can, can complain about is him meeting, uh, with, with Putin as, and that being evidence of some kind of, um, you know, apocalyptic end right. of the political world type scenario unprecedented in human history by any leaders, uh, ever. The, yes. And consider what Obama with, uh, Medved, what he said, yeah. you know, back more in, flexibility in a number of years ago. Right. So consider all of that and consider the, the debacle of that red reset button, Hillary Clinton. Nice translation, by the way, right? Remember John Kerry saying, uh, all he knows about Russia is from what he watched on Rocky Four. Right. I forget who he was said that to, but implying that, you know, uh, Russia is you know, a lot better. Yeah, and- yeah. But, but this, this also ties in, what we're seeing ties into something else I just want to mention. By the way, I, I, I may, um, I, I I, I may uh, uh, have to leave at uh, the top of the hour for an appointment, um, which is fine because we've got a great show lined up for you. Uh, we've got uh, bottom of this hour, Rob Shimshock from uh, Daily Caller. Thank you, and of course Dave Dob- uh, Dave Dobmeyer at the top of next hour, along with Stan Dale. But but one one other thing I want to mention to you about this, and, and watch the. There's a level of coordination that I am seeing, and, and perhaps you're seeing this too. You have this Google glitch that temporarily disables Drudge, Breitbart, and other sites. Yeah, there's this, there's this site, there, there was this glitch that knocked, that disabled Drudge, Breitbart, and other conservative websites. When was this today? And for how long? Yeah. Uh, the specifics are, are, I mean, I, I could get into that, uh, the specifics, it wasn't that length of time. I mean, it wasn't the length of time. It was, in my view, it was the... That it only targeted uh, conservative... Yeah, this sense. happened around 3.20 t- uh, p.m. today, Eastern okay. Time. Specifically, Drudge and Breitbart, but we noticed also some other issues um, as well at, at that time. Um, but Drudge and Breitbart were the two biggest ones. Uh, and, of course, Google saying that they're experiencing an issue. Okay. Funny how that issue only extends to yeah. <laughs> extends to conservatives and websites. Now, take that. Uh, take the, the, and this is something that needs to be discussed. You've got a Democratic congressman from, uh, uh, from Florida, Ted uh, Deutsch, pressuring Facebook to ban InfoWars. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was this was said during a hearing into social media censorship today on Capitol Hill. Yeah, yeah, I saw some of those clips, and this is not the first time that that has happened. Right now, here here is something that I just want to say, and then I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave this topic. Remember, six months ago, I was screaming about censorship. I was screaming about how the censorship is taking place. And I received a lot of emails saying, oh, that, that's just a bunch of hyperbole and it's not happening. Now, maybe it was longer than that. And I spoke about censorship. We spoke about censorship. 
whether you like InfoWars, they have a right to exist. Uh, the, the the calling by this by this communist right dem- this congr- uh, com- um, communist uh, congressman in my view it's beyond the pale because yeah. they, they can do it to you they can do it to us and uh, nobody's no, <laughs> you don't see anybody on on uh, you know the right side of the aisle calling calling to uh, or have I don't know you know Rachel Maddow or anybody shut down. <clears throat> The whole idea behind the freedom of speech, the freedom of expression, the First Amendment rights and the basic tenets of those rights is that everybody is allowed to have an opinion and voice that opinion as long as it is not harmful or or, or threatening in certain ways. And if you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. But this whole idea of wanting to shut down the opposition speech, more specifically, wanting to shut down the ideas that you don't agree with is something new. That uh, And these are the same people who are the diversity and inclusion crowd uh, that promote that stuff, which is hypocrisy at its finest. But this is the political climate we're in. And it doesn't matter what happens with President Trump. It doesn't matter what he says, what he does. Some people say, oh, he could cure cancer, and and they would uh, uh, take him to the woodshed, or he could give everybody a million dollars, and it wouldn't be good enough. And that's very true. And I think it was Hillary Clinton who said uh, she would go to war with Russia if elected, or was that Iran? I can't remember which country she said. But... What we saw with North Korea, what we are seeing with Russia, and if North Korea continues on the, its current pace, and you see some things in the Middle East that are happening as far as uh, peace deals, potential peace deals, this is good stuff. We're, it, it's better than the alternative, right? <laughs> 16 years of, of, of undeclared wars that uh, we are still involved in in the Middle East, unconstitutional, unsanctioned by Congress drone strikes and Dozens of countries. I think Obama set beat his own record of drone strikes in Middle Eastern countries last year uh, from the year before. And I wonder, I need to do some research to see if the uh, drone strike practices are still ongoing under Trump as they were under Obama. But we seem to be from three, six months ago when the, the headlines were nuclear war imminent with North Korea. Uh, that seems to have been mitigated by the diplomacy of the Trump administration. And Russia is only an enemy in the eyes of the media because they need, are needed to be the current boogeyman to oppose Trump, for the media to oppose Trump. It's just a created talking point that was probably created by Strauch and Page in the middle of, you know, one of their love twists. And I've got to say in my morning show, too, this morning, um, speaking about all of the, uh, just speaking about this, folks, we are at war, and, and mm-hmm. th- th- this we are so close to the precipice of something really happening. Stuart Rhodes last night, and as I mentioned uh, this morning, when you listen to what he's got to say, and, and you take this with the sobriety necessary, no one can afford to be, nor should you be a spectator in this and we as conservatives and we as Christians and we as Christian conservatives need to rise up against this and when I say rise up against this I'm not calling for an assault on our government I'm not calling for violence what I'm saying however I'm not backing down from violence should it come to me 
But what I'm saying is we've got to let other people know what's happening. And some, and you might say, well, you're preaching to the choir. Not, no, because this show and our respective shows are growing every single day. We're picking up new listeners. I got a couple of emails this week alone saying, you know something? Just found your show, meaning this, the, the Hagman Report. Had not realized, you know, what you folks talk about. Thank you so much and learned a lot. So not everyone, and this is a problem that, that many people face. And I see the comments, and I don't want to disparage the listeners or viewers. I really don't, because you folks are the, the more most intelligent, in my view, people on the planet. But when I see someone saying, well, that's old news, or you've already talked about that before, or um, whatever that that might be, just because you know it, don't assume that your neighbor knows it or your Uncle Fred knows it or whoever knows it because more people and more people are waking up to this. But anyway, um, watch what Facebook is doing. And again, this is why, as far as I'm concerned, Facebook is nothing but a surveillance tool yep. of, the, of the deep state. But again, you've got, just think about what we just talked about. Facebook refusing to explain why they're leaving up a page calling for the assassination of pro-life Republican congressmen. You've got uh, this Google glitch disabling access to Drudge and Breitbart. you got Soros dumping yeah. $25 million into YouTube to create actual organizations like this only for the purpose of uh, spewing propaganda. It's kind of like the... It, see, what they're trying to do is the mainstream media... Uh, is not the alternative media for a reason because the alternative media is looking to tell the truth to find the truth right there without the the you know the minutia of all the the left right and whatever but it's it's ridiculous to think that Soros is going to get any kind of success out of uh you know turning to YouTube to create a show like this to just parrot mainstream media talking points that's not going to work they don't watch the media the mainstream media because of what they say and who they are and to just to try to do that on the internet, nobody's going to watch it either and have to listen to, to that hysteria. I mean, they called this meeting with Trump an abomination. I could not believe that. Well, they promote yeah. abortion, but Trump meeting with Ru- Russia's president is an abomination. It's just it, um, it's 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 beyond the pale. Yeah, but, but it's only going to intensify, and, and that's our message. And Coach Dave Dobmeyer is going to talk about this, and of course, um, others tonight will. Uh, Rob Shimshocker. We'll be discussing this as well, uh, among other things. But I do believe that we have to pay attention to what is be, what's being censored out there, and and we cannot allow this censorship to continue. Uh, the censorship, and because here's the progression: at first it is the censorship, then comes the criminalization, and that criminalization can certainly apply to people here in the United States as it has already in the UK. If you don't speak up now, we may not have that opportunity to speak up in, in, in the future. So we, we must combine forces. And the question I have, Joe, is what's it going to take? You know, we spoke, we, we asked, uh, uh, we asked, uh, uh, Stuart Rhodes last night about this. What's it going to take? Uh, well, yeah. not not just what what's going to ha- what's going to look like, but what's it going to take for us to respond? And you could say, well, we could you know, develop different platforms. 
Damn. Okay, but that doesn't take care of the problem. It, it, right. Not by far. The problem is the oppression. Being these, the anti-fascists are the fascists. That's the, what Winston, Winston Churchill said. Very in, simple. Uh, uh, Fifty years ago. Right, go ahead. The uh, fu- the the future fascists will call themselves anti-fascist, and that is uh, so true. Uh, to, I mean, when you see the Antifa types, when you see the the as Stuart Rhodes said yesterday, they walk around these protesters with their uh, their sickle and fist. They have no longer, they're no longer hiding their true beliefs and intentions. Do you remember a time, maybe uh, halfway through or during the Obama administration, when calling him a communist or insinuating what would be an insult? The mainstream media would would make a story out of it about how could, how could you call him a communist? He's a, he's a capitalist, and uh, you know it's okay. Now they're they're openly uh, acknowledging and demanding that you accept communism and socialism and that the constitution be gone they are creating a situation in which they either hope we as a citizenry go to war with each other uh, so they they don't have to you know uh, i don't know wreck the economy or nuke a city to blame it on on somebody else but that might happen anyway right it might but what they're trying to do is inflame the for whatever reason we had obama which appealed to the extreme left, the progressives, the socialists, the communists. And it really brought that side out. And now we have a response to that, a populist movement of people who are of national interest, have national interest, American interest, who have been, you know, for decades paying taxes, seeing no return, empty promises, year after year. And now a man who is different from those other politicians comes in, uh, puts it all on the line and says he's going to make the changes, and he's actually doing that or attempting to, and doing a good job of it. And you would think that there was some, you know, uh, madman in the the White House, uh, you know, overthrowing regimes left and right, and you know, just being out of his mind crazy. When the exact opposite is true, it's the media who are crazy. And my question is, and I guess it doesn't even matter, <clears throat> does the media really believe what they say, or are they just uh, happy with the paycheck they're getting, so they'll say whatever, like an actor will in a movie. I wonder if they actually believe it, or if they separate themselves from it and say, well, if I was in a movie, uh, I would make $2 million a year for, for this uh, picture, so, um, you know, this is entertainment, and this is what I'm told to say. I'd, I'd like to know uh, the truth behind that. Interesting. That'd be telling. Because if all these people are doing it because they actually believe it, I think they'd be a lot worse than uh, if they are doing it just for the money. But when you look at the hysteria, if if they're not doing it for the money, then we have a very uh, serious spiritual problem in this country. And it's it, it's a slippery slope from how fast it can go bad. I, I want to mention, before the time ran out, Lisa Page testified before dual committees, congressional committees, Friday and, and Monday, Representative Louis, Louis Gohmert appeared on Fox News to discuss the second day, yesterday's, uh, day of, uh, the second day of closed testimony, closed door testimony by the former Department of Justice FBI lover of Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. Well, P- Page was the special counsel assigned to McCabe, okay, and Page resigned from the Department of Justice on May 4th of this year. Now, let me just go over this. 
one of the more in, interesting aspects, this according to Conservative Treehouse, interesting aspects of Lisa Page, her congressional appearances, is the current FBI sending lawyers to control her testimony. Think about this. Think about what I just said. She resigned on May 4th. You've got the current FBI sending lawyers to control her testimony. She's no longer a part of the FBI. Yeah. Are you, or the Department of Justice. Treehouse? Is that what yeah. you mean? Yeah. Okay. It's, in, it's an article, the headline there. It, it, but yeah. It, so, so you know, writes, uh, at that site, you know from the insufferable press conference given by current FBI director Christopher Ray that that of course followed the IG report on the Clinton investigation. The current FBI officials are working to protect the former FBI leadership. That's just the way it is. Now, as a consequence, the institution of the FBI is indeed uh, corrupt. Um, and it's just not the officials. It's the infrastructure behind it. I thought this was fantastic. Uh, there are some really interesting connections here that I would really... When you, when you look at the environment today, you've got accusations of... What's the, what's the main accusation here against President Donald Trump? He is an uh, of He's a puppet of Putin. That's, is that really that's the... A, well, that's the accusation, sure. Look, look, look at how the freaked out the press got meeting when, when Donald Trump met with, uh, with, uh, Putin. So he's a puppet of Putin. That's the, the, the big deal here. But the bottom line is, uh, you've got Mueller covering up for all of the Russian scandals under Obama, including Uranium One and all of that. So, yeah, and the FBI covering the up the FBI. Hillary Clinton email. Yeah, yeah, the emails. But what do they think's gonna happen? What do they think President Trump and, and Putin are going to sit down? They're gonna talk. What's the danger? I mean, are they gonna, you know? Well, the decide danger, the danger to, could it very well be a, a normal diplomatic relationship with a with a former hostile country. I guess my question is, they they have the urgency, they have the the hysteria. But what what I mean what. What do they think they can do? What can, Trump has limited power. I mean, he, he's the president of the United States, but he still has, you know, to abide within the laws of the Constitution. Yeah, no, I didn't hear him say that he would be, have more flexibility after, you know, the, yeah. the 20, uh, 2020 election. So, you know, it's, it's, look, everything you hear, in my view, from the, captured corporate mass media is just a bunch of bunk it's not right i mean it's 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 really joe it's but they're using this as as, uh, okay the intelligence services were weaponized and we need to look at the timeline and i've been i've been doing this and i've been seeing this the timeline of the weaponization of intelligence services that began in 20 uh i'm sorry began under with Obama's second term, you, you look at that and how the, the the intelligence services were weaponized, and you and you you go forward and you see how that weaponization applied to the surveillance of a citizen, that being Donald Trump, a presidential candidate, and the president, mm-hmm. along with all of the people around him. Then you go backwards, you can go all the way back to nine eleven and see the 
the hobby intelligence community responded to 9-11 by changing some of the rules and of course go go back even further to the establishment of a FISA court and go back even further than that but you can see this this line this uh, cr- uh, chronological line here and and what people I think what people are missing now you combine all of that with what we said earlier the censorship we are and by the way the censorship at, what do you think the Antifa, the anti-fascists, which are fascists. What do you think that, by their protesting, by by their um, by their actions, are they not engaged in censorship? Of course they are. So you've got the street level censorship, you've got the technological Silicon Valley censorship, you've got the political censorship. And what do people do when they can't talk? They fight, and and. And right now they're bringing us to that point. And I'm afraid, Joe, i got to tell you, I'm afraid that uh, we are going to be without. There's two things, and Stuart Rhodes said it best last night. At the time, the Democrats lose power in 20 in the midterms. They, by, they, they will go by any means necessary against us. Yeah, they okay. will, because they have nothing and, to lose. And you know something? The moment will come for the conservatives when approached, when we have nothing at that point to lose, we either, as you say, well, what you're what you're saying, you either die, you either die uh, trying to preserve right. and protect uh, your your country and your family, or you die because you didn't. Exactly. I mean, so uh, that's just a simple way of of saying that. But uh, I don't know. We're at the talk off. I can't wait for this break. I got a few interesting pieces of information. This is from the Gateway Pundit. Mueller suspected of giving Podesta brothers immunity to indict Manafort and is hiding this from the public. Uh, remember, the, uh, there's a story on Drudge that says Mueller would like five, uh, he would like to give immunity to five witnesses in the Manafort case. Well, apparently, according to Tom Winter and some other journalists, the Podesta brothers are two of those five. Pretty interesting stuff. And also, how about this? Peter Strauch grew up in Iran worked as Obama and Brandon's envoy to the Iranian regime, also worked for the CIA. Haven't verified that yet, but that's according to Big League Politics. We'll talk more about that on the other side when we come back after this break. And welcome back to this segment number two on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. We have a returning guest who last time uh, was just a fascinating interview, and he is a an author at the Daily Caller, and his name is Rob Shimshock. And I was just looking at his Twitter feed. I got a different computer than I usually usually have, so I'm not logged in. I don't have my login information, so I'm having a tough time with this working trying to work the two devices uh, on air. But anyway. Uh, Rob's come on to talk about a number of things, and we're just going to bring him on because I know he's roaring and ready to go. As we uh, heard him, yeah. Oh, you need some time. Sorry, Eric, the tech. Just, just so everyone knows, uh, and and our guest knows, Eric, the tech is working on a couple of issues right now. So just just hang on. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, we'll sing you a lullaby. But no, Rob Shimshock is is just, in my view, one of the finest writers. Uh, very intelligent oh and my articulate. goodness it, it, you know i yeah uh you can find him of course 
at uh, robshimshock.com. That's rob, S-H-I-M-S-H-O-C-K.com, as well as the Daily Caller. And the and, Twitter, uh, uh, Shimshock and Awe. I like that. Shimshock uh, and Yeah, and Shimshock and Awe. Spell it all out, Shimshock and Awe. And, and while you cannot get on his Twitter, I can. Yeah. And i got to tell you, this guest, listen to what he's got to say. Yes. Go ahead. I want to say this while I got on the tip of my tongue. When we, when he came on last time, we focused only on one of the aspects of his writing, which is the reporting. He also is, uh, uh, very well known for, uh, his satirical work that he does, and he's very good at it. So if we get a chance. Oh, you know, and, and I just want to say this. I know that. And by the way, did you, do you realize how intelligent you have to be to, to really be good at satire? Yes. Because sa- bad satire, that we, well, <laughs> there's so much of that out there, but, but he's very good at that. Um, but uh, we've got a couple of issues that we'll be talking about. Um, that, and I'm not sure where we're going to start, whether it's going to be with the Daily Caller. But yeah, we'll uh, bring him on and... Uh, yeah, dude, just give us a minute. Uh, with respect. Cover some of his, his latest articles. We have them? All right. All perfect. right. Perfect. <clears throat> Rob, it's, yeah, it's great to have you back on. Um, we were just saying uh, on air here without you being here that last time you came on, we covered a lot of your reporting, investigative reporting, but we didn't really get into the satire, which is uh, something that we want to try to do today. But we can get into that whenever you want. It's great to have you back. And, uh, it's great to meet you. Uh, I'm Doug, and of course, I don't know whether you heard the introduction, but hopefully we give you a proper introduction. I think you're a fantastic writer and uh great at what you do. I did, and you guys flatter me. But, yes, thanks so much for having me back, Joe and Doug. Well, I'll tell you something. We're watching your trajectory. I mean, you're a rising star, to be certain. I mean, you're already a star, but even glowing yeah. hotter and brighter. So, um, But where do you want to start today, Rob? We, gotta, you know, we can't help but talk about the uh, mainstream media <laughs> and the level of I guess I'll just say delusion that these people are under uh, with the, the, I like the Newsbusters montage that they put together today, highlighting all the different news media organizations and their pundits with their crazy uh, uh, rhetoric about this Trump-Putin meeting where they just sat down and had some uh, conversations. And you would think that they started a nuclear war with each other. Uh, I don't, we don't get it. I mean, we get it, but we don't understand why are they, they're already you know up into number nine? Why are they taking it to an eleven um, with this Putin trending? Yeah, that's true. They definitely are just going hysterical. But I think we've uh, grown to really expect that. And one of the things I try to do the Daily Caller is you'll often see different stories from me, scoops from uh, I, I cover education. And so one story I sent to you guys uh, today was about a student who's confessing microaggressions for a twenty-two page essay. And so this is something that, you know, you wouldn't find really in the mainstream media because they might look at this and say, oh, you know, this is this is good. It's advancing social justice, diversity, all these principles which are so beloved. And so, yeah, I try to cover stories like this that you really won't see elsewhere. You know, I don't even understand this this concept of microaggressions. I, I get their definitions, but, I mean, this whole social justice, political correctness has morphed into something else, and all this is part of it, whether... But- but he writes, is this what passes for scholarly work these right. days? I mean, we're reduced exactly. to nothing. Yeah, yeah, but go, but go on. 
No, I mean, I just don't understand it. And if this is actually, like you guys are saying, being, uh, being, re this is replacing, this kind of content is replacing actual, uh, studies of important and significant topics, <laughs> what is, what are they paying for in these universities? Right, and if you don't know, yeah, just to, just to interject, if you don't know what a microaggression is, then you surely don't know what, um, I believe it's micro-invalidation, micro-insult, and micro-assault are. And this student very, uh, very, you know, helpfully explores all of these concepts for us. And I'm just thinking, reading this, like, you know, if, if these are all these terms, uh, you, you must have forgotten macro-assault, which is really what it feels like you're doing to my intelligence when I'm reading this. <laughs> Yeah, this is, this is unbelievable, and this is a much more widespread problem than you'd imagine. And one of the websites that I look at, I believe it's uh, the College Fix. They do a good job of highlighting each day an example or two of uh, these kind of stories that are just absolutely bonkers, where it seems like it's upside down. What is going to happen to these people when they come out of college and they go into the real world looking for a job with a degree in arts or, or you know, some kind of meaningful degree and they have all this uh you know terminology and have it in their head that uh the world works like the way that it did when they were in the university they're going to have a culture shock and an awakening well my suspicion is that a lot of these kids don't even make it out of school um whether voluntarily or not they try to get a you know a, a degree after their undergraduate degree so um I knew one of my TAs at uh, University of Virginia for English. She had been, I think, in the education system for like 14 or, or 12 years studying English. And I, I have to think, you know, was this a voluntary choice or did she really look at her options after college and say, hey, maybe if I get this master's degree under my belt, some more doors will open up to me. Of course, this means that you're not really entering the professional workforce until you're around 30 years old for some disciplines. So... It is a frightening uh, notion, indeed, to be in school for that long. Rob, let me ask you a question uh, kind of out of left field here. But, you know, one of the great examples of the uh, professional world with the PC uh, attitude in it is the NFL and with the national anthem players taking a knee. Now, I can think of no other uh, job or, or uh, employment scenario where you could be working at McDonald's or whatever where on the employee's time when you're being compensated, you know, better than 95% of the, the population, why they think it's acceptable to be able to protest and not have consequences against those protests. I mean, why is this such a, a hard thing for people to grasp? Well, I think really, yeah, it is. It's a compensated virtue signaling is what it is. And um, really, I mean, this is why we have the free market. I think a lot of people were boycotting the NFL over this. So, um some of these players did probably receive pretty sharp uh, reprimands from their teammates, from their coaches, uh, as a result of this just really petulant display. I mean, because no one really wants to see that. They're asking you to stand and, and be respectful. It is, it is their right to protest, of course, but um, at the end of the day, what is this protest actually accomplishing? It's just it, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's their right to protest, and just like anywhere else, if, you know, here in the studios, if every time... Uh, I don't know, a certain guest came on. If I took a, a, a vow of silence, I would be my protest, but I could also uh, be out of a job at the end of the day. And that's what I think uh, this this uh, mentality of, uh, um, you know, 
I don't even know what the, the proper word to say is, but the, the the mentality that something is owed to them that uh, that everybody should just bend to their will, regardless of the traditions and the laws and the rules and and everything else, it's just mind-boggling. But the uh, that leads me to this a story you have here: Canada Supreme Court sides with law societies that say they will deny accreditation to graduates of potential law schools whose students would be expected to live a tr- traditional Christian sex life. Now, that's I understand what this is saying, but it doesn't make sense to me. They're, they're going to deny accreditation to people who want to be heterosexual and Christian? So what this case is, it's actually been circulating around the Canadian courts for, I think, a couple of years now. Um, it's Trinity Western University. And what they have is they have a code of conduct saying that while you're in college here, um, the only type of sex that's permissible is between a heterosexual uh, marriage, married couple. And so you have to remember, this is not a code that's enforced upon anyone um, without their uh, choice. These are people who sign up for this school because they agree to live by these terms. And so these kids want to insert themselves into this community that lives by Christian norms. And so really it has turned, it really is a freedom of association case where now um, the Supreme Court has sided with one of these uh, law societies, the Ontario one actually. Um, the other two, I believe, uh, roll, rolled over and eventually the courts, the regional courts there, let the school um, be able to establish a law school with this code and let its graduates get accredited. But I think it's the Ontario law, uh, law society that really pushed it to the Supreme Court and now um, these students, uh, you know, they they have their freedom of association violated. But it's not only that, but it's also particularly ironic because if you look at graduates from Notre Dame and other Christian schools in the U.S., if they go to Canada, they're, you know, made to take some tests and, and um, really ascertain their skill in the law profession as they should be. But then after that, they're not, they're not um, denied their licenses because they adhere to this Christian code but it's because they attended a U.S. school. So I guess the same doesn't apply to Canadian schools. That's very interesting. Uh, You know, I want to ask you about this. Uh, This seems to be a subject that you would be uh, up on. We've seen recently a lot of infighting in some of these uh, special rights uh, groups in Europe and here in the U.S. You know, you have the the LGBTQIA uh, whole slogan, but it seems that we're seeing a lot more stories of uh, uh, factions that uh, the L, lesbians, uh, are angry because transgenders are taking away from their attention. Have you seen these infightings and these counter-protests at uh, these types of rallies? I definitely have, and um, what's really remarkable is that the progressives are the most effective at shutting the progressives down. So yeah. I, I believe it was one story where I've seen it was, you know, a gay pride rally, and I believe the people who shut it down are like a Black Lives Matter affiliated group. And, of course, you know, these are people who subscribe to this theory that, you know, violence is okay, that um, disruption, not protest, not peaceful protest, but disruption, not letting other people use their free speech is also perfectly okay. So, yes, there there definitely is uh, these factions infighting. Um, with particular regard to the LGBT community, um, of course you have, and it's been on the periphery for a while, but... You have people who are trying to advocate for a pedophilia to be included in that, and I think their reasoning is that um, pedophilia is not necessarily the um, going out and sexually assaulting a child. It's not necessarily engaging in sex with a child. It's simply the sexuality of being attracted to children, 
So they say, like, as long as you don't act upon that, you know, we should be able to become an acceptable part of the community. That is, uh, you know, you talk about twisted logic and uh, justification. That's pretty much, uh, you know, that it's disgusting. There's no other way to put it. But this is something that we've talked about since the, uh, you know, homosexual marriage had become law, which uh, they could have done a number of other things, called them unions, but they had to intertwine it with, with the Christian religion and the definition of marriage. And we were warned then that this was going to bring in all types uh, of new uh, social norms, which would be actually the opposite of that. But from from homosexuals to transgenders to the, this gender stuff to uh, now pedophiles, it's just... I remember an Antifa protest where they had actual... Uh, uh, what, what was it? Pedo- they were advertising with pedophile groups, with Antifa protests. So that begs the question: you know, are these are these guys going to tear themselves apart, or are they going to come together and uh, and fight? And what are they fighting for? But uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, uh, just just really quick to add on to that. Um, what's particularly ironic is you have some of these groups advertising on social media, and of course they're very adept, as the left always has been, at using these new platforms, and they'll advertise themselves as, oh, you know, we're we're pro um, equality. We're pro, you know, diversity. They'll have all these platitudes, but then sometimes they'll perhaps mistakenly inject a little like we're anti-borders, we're anti-prisons, which you'd think get a lot of reasonable people to become a little turned off to their cause. Yeah, uh, it's just a, it's kind of a crazy world we live in, and it's even worse when we see it is. Uh, backed up and encouraged by the likes of the mainstream media and the political establishment, and it makes you wonder why. But when you look at it, our society, and, and let me ask you this, uh, 50 years ago, men were men. They worked, uh, you know, they, they uh, spent time with their families. Now this generation that seems to be a, a victim of technology and uh, a few other components, um, they don't seem to want to do anything outside of their screen. Are we seeing a move here in, in one, two generations where we're going to be so merged with machinery that we're not going to know what reality is for those people who go down that road? Is that what they're bringing? Yeah, I mean, I do think there there is a displacement of workers, um, you know, in different professions by, by machines, which I think is really unfortunate. But, um, yeah, I mean, we do live in the age of entitlement. I, I, I absolutely hate bashing my own age demographic, the millennials, but... It does seem to be the case that they're more vulnerable to these, um, to being kind of suckered in by these discredited ideologies like socialism. Yeah, it's definitely something that is, uh, it seems like it's a, a stain on, on the fabric of this country. And one thing that I don't get is that you have, uh, these people, whether it's the, uh, Constitution, the National Anthem, uh, Mother's Day or Father's Day, all these people, these social justice warriors want to do is just ruin it for everybody else. Everything is an offense and, uh, you know, and they just, they, they can't enjoy it so nobody else can. And they've been very successful at doing that in their own little communities. But I'm starting to wonder how much of an effect on the younger generations this is having. And if it is proportionately growing, where 5% of the population might have this mentality now, maybe in 10 years, 15% will, which that would be much more damaging. Uh, to what would be left of this country. Our guest is Rob Shimshock. RobShimshock.com is his website. Also, DailyCaller.com, at Shimshock and Awe. How great is that, by the way? I like it a lot. Yeah, Shimshock and Awe. Follow him on Twitter. In fact, do it now. Go go to your computer. Well, unless you're driving, and then don't do that. But um, 
but but follow uh, Rob on Twitter and his articles always 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 are information rich and some of the most oblique stuff um you know i was looking at some of the some of the issues uh, rob i don't know where you want to go and i don't want to you know uh take most of your time here but uh i looking at the uh, unc forking over 300 almost 400,000 dollars to defend its confederate statue from protesters uh, my goodness, are we uh, the education realm or uh, academia losing their minds? So, yeah, there are a couple of prongs to this specific story. This was down at University of North Carolina. And, yeah, they'd spent almost $400,000 defending this Confederate statue over the past year from protesters. And I really did some quick math in my piece, and I figured out that this would have paid for the tuition of either 43 in-state kids or 11 out-of-state kids. So, um, you know, the faction who claims to be the compassionate ones who care about everyone's welfare are really, you know, they're, de- they're denying scholarships to these people, money that could have otherwise been spent for that. Yeah, that's it's unbelievable. And, and to, uh, you know, we talk about here uh, having legal battles. There are many in the alternative media that are facing legal battles that are frivolous and are costly. And, and, and it's just unfortunate that there's not some system in place, like in Europe, where if you sue somebody, uh, frivolously and, and you lose, you have to pay the uh, person you sued's legal bills, but we have no uh, consequences for, for that here, and that is being abused all the time. But I want to ask you about this while, while, before we run out of time. The walk-away movement seems to have captivated the attention of a lot of people, so much so to the point where art, uh, publications like the Huffington Post, the Washington Post, and others have tried to justify it and explain it away as a infiltration of Russian bots and uh, fake conservative or conservatives faking to be Democrats. And you see, it is it has been one of the top trending hashtags on Twitter. The videos on YouTube are getting an explosive amount of views. Is do you believe this trend is real and uh, is it going to have any meaningful lasting impact? So this is the one, uh, if I just if I'm correct, that um, it's kind of the fragmenting of the Democratic Party, right? Yeah, people are making videos of themselves with the hashtag walkaway, and they're giving testimonials as to how, uh, why they're walking away, how they have been damaged by believing into the lies of the Democratic Party and the false promises, and many of them have gone viral as they're very, uh, uh, I don't know, they're, they're, they're some of them are very good. Uh, they give great explanations, and we see just a complete pushback from the, the media on this. They've done everything they can to associate it with Russian bots to, uh, you know, but it, they can't hold it down. It, it, its popularity uh, continues to rise. So I guess I'm wondering, is this something that is uh, organic in nature that uh, got some wheels on it and, and going to continue to roll uh, for the next few years because it has the potential to? Yeah, I remember. I think the cutting edge of this really was back in 2015, whenever, um, I'm sure you're aware in the YouTube community, Dave Rubin, a comedian, started his own podcast. And he was previously with the Young Turks, which is a very, you know, left-wing news outlet. And so, um, really, he was the one who first started bringing on alternative voices, giving them a platform from which they could, you know, speak what are pretty rational, you know, reasonable points of view. And so I do see this accelerating. There have definitely been a lot of cultural movements. Um, but what always seems to happen up until this point, at least, um, another kind of uh, prong of this was the Gamergate movement back in like 2014, 2015, when you had gamers who were just fed up with the press telling lies about them, 
um, you know, promoting the promoting the idea that if you played X game or Y game, you were sexist or racist. And these were a group who were largely composed of like left wing libertarians. And they they said, hey, we're done with this. We're going to boycott these media outlets who are spreading lies about us, who are you know urging censorship of games. We're going to boycott them. We're going to give them a piece of our minds, and we're going to make them adopt ethics codes, which several of them had to do afterwards. And I think what what has happened is the media has tried to and feather these people who have, um, you know, gone away willingly from the left as right-wingers, as some kind of, you know, right-wing bigots, uh, whatever terms yeah. they use. But I think it's going to become increasingly harder to do so as the actual facts come out. And, of course, um, the, the left is no friends with uh, facts, per se, but it's going to become harder and harder to ignore, I think. One of the things I find fascinating about it is is that uh, the the people who are making these videos have believed in in these you know democratic ideologies, this progressive ideology, and have their own uh, organic experience and testimony, which is something a perspective we can't, I can't uh, bring on and come from because I have no idea what that's like. Hopefully, uh, that kind of of uh, insight will help wake other people up with the right ideas or way of saying it, the right language. Hopefully, that'll lead to a lot of other people realizing that they've been duped. But, Rob, I know we only got you for a few more minutes. I want to ask you, uh, uh, how much satire are you writing these days? So, really, with my writing, what I've tried to do, and the Rebel Media has been very great in allowing me a platform for this, is I've branched out from satire. I used to do a lot of satirical videos where I dressed up as Antifa or a social justice warrior. <laughs> I have, like, the hat with uh, I, I had pasted on a... Um, a sickle and hammer. And so I used to do many of those. Now I'm going more into the provocation. So I'll take an opinion, I'll take, you know, a contrarian argument perhaps, and I'll really try to incorporate infotainment into it. Cause I think that's one of the ways the left has been so successful over the past decade or so at getting millennials. You look at, um, you know, Gallup data or, or I, I think it was Pew data of the ones, the shows most watched by millennials were like, you know, the Stephen Colbert, the John, uh, the John Stewart ones, the ones that are more upbeat and have an entertainment angle to it too. So what I'll do is I'll just make sure to have nowadays in my columns for Rebel Media, which um, I hope your viewers check out, I'll have what I think is a pretty cohesive argument, you know, 800 words or so, and I'll make sure to sprinkle in many jokes and, and you know, just many sallies, um, as many as I can, and I hope that, you know, entices people who would otherwise say, oh, you know, this is some dry political commentary, really check it out and open their minds and we need that in today's yeah, we, culture and political climate and, and you know he's, he's very good at, at the videos in fact go to robshimshock.com check out the videos the articles the commentaries uh, journalist and political uh, satirist from washington dc robshimshock.com is the website it's linked in the program description box along with uh, of course the columnist uh, Contributing columnist at Daily Caller and on Twitter, I love this Shimshock and awe. You just gotta love that, right? You just gotta so, so follow him on Twitter as well while you still can. Hey, at least he's authenticated the yeah. blue check mark, by the way, which <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened, but uh, uh, that elusive blue check mark is. Uh, not, not, not certainly not for us, but, uh. I don't even care. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? But anyway, uh, closing comments in the last, I don't know, we've got about 90 seconds. Whatever you want to promote, talk about, well, you know, it's, the floor is yours. 
I don't know. I guess I just take the opportunity to explain uh, my Twitter handle, which you so generously advertised a few times. So, shock and awe, I wasn't too attuned to politics back when um, that that was being used as a common term. But uh, whenever you look it up on Wikipedia, it says, technically known as rapid dominance, shock and awe is a tactic based on the use of overwhelming power and spectacular displays of force to paralyze the enemy's perception of the battlefield and destroy its will to fight. And I like to think that I'm somewhat embodying that with my approach to journalism, where it is very much, you know, something that is going to uh, make you click not just out of interest to your politics or perhaps something that, um, you know, you know, you just see as a newsworthy item, but something that really uh, catches the more imaginative side of your brain. And, um, you know, it is a bit of a spectacle is what I aim for with my journalism. So that's something I, I try to really um, animate in my columns. Well, you, you do a great job of it, and uh, we definitely enjoy the content. Uh, I love satire. I mean, on a day where I'm just frustrated by headlines and, and all the craziness, I'll, I'll find the, the silliest things to watch. But as you said, with the entertainment and the humor value in it, it is uh, it is great. But, Rob, I want to thank you so much for coming on. You keep doing the, the awesome work. And, folks, follow him on Twitter. Uh, make sure that you check out his website, and it says robshimshock.com. I believe yes, that's right. Yeah, and boy, we really appreciate you. And uh, yeah. th- thanks for thanks for uh, uh, your gen- generous gift of time and coming on with us. We really do appreciate you. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to discuss these very important issues. Absolutely, Amen. we'll have you back on soon. You have a great day. Thanks, you too. All right, folks, we're network break. Uh, on the other side, on the other side is going to be Coach Dave Dobmeyer, CoachDaveLive.com. Now. I, I might have to, well, hopefully I can be back from uh, just a conference call to join Coach Dave here shortly. But, uh, Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you. We'll be right back after this with Coach Dave. Don't go anywhere. of this edition of the Hagman Report. Today is the 17th of July. It's going to be August soon, and I don't know where the time goes, but uh, we are here, and we have a great hour planned. Coach Dave, he's going to be joining us from a remote location. He's apparently on the road. Not sure what he's doing, uh, but he's got some stuff he wants to talk about, and we're going to get into <clears throat> First, I want to bring up a few headlines while we are waiting on Coach this uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she has been one of the uh, Democrats giving the most media attention in the last few weeks since winning, winning her primary against Congressman Crowley in New York. But listen to this. This uh, lady, and she's not ever professed to be some kind of expert on political issues, domestic or international. So she made some comments about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in an interview that she gave, and I'm not sure where what outlet she gave, on PBS, she said uh, <laughs> that she was for supporting a two-state solution between Israel and Palestine. Three days later, she has now backed off her support for the two-state solution to the conflict between Israel and Palestine uh, after first voicing it. 
Now, what is her reason behind that? During her first interview on PBS Firing Line Friday, Ocasio-Cortez gave a more uh, gave an answer when her view on the uh, on her view of the Jewish state. Well, I believe absolutely in Israel's right to exist. I am a proponent of a two-state solution. And for me, it's not this is not a referendum on the state of Israel. Okay. Ocasio walked back her use of the terms uh oh, I didn't read you the second part. What she did three days later is said she's not for a two-state solution and that because of the last incident between the Palestinians and Israel at the border, she said that it was a massacre uh, as the Israelis were killing the Palestinians at mass border protests by Israeli security forces. Now, she walked back her use of the terms massacre and occupation, but this just shows... This is the future of the Democratic Party. Somebody who doesn't have an idea of, uh, or any sense of the word of, in the reality of, of the world of facts about a situation, commenting as though she is some sort of, you know, uh, uh, expert on the matter, and then because of maybe her candidate or her party's, uh, you know, they say toe the line when it comes to their belief on, and views on Israel. When, when that word comes down, you know, oh, nope, no, we're not for a two-state solution anymore. Uh, we're against Israel, and you better be too. So my question is, did she really change her mind? Was she really that naive and, and ignorant of the, this conflict that has been ongoing? And is it that easy for her to change her mind? It just boggles the mind that this is the person whose face is plastered, whose name is spoken as the future of the Democratic Party. Again, as we've seen Hillary Clinton attempt to, uh, you know, get a consensus of her possibilities to run in 2020. Uh, today we see a poll. 73% of Democrats want a fresh face in 2020. But this, uh, this politician from New York, this community organizer, they think she's going to win a primary, but what political, what kind of political career is she going to have after that? And is she just a naive person who says she's a communist and a socialist? But I think that's what I'm saying. I think, I don't think it's, it's ignorance. At the same time, I don't think she's the, the, the sharpest tack in the shed, but, you know, this is a, a new kind of, uh, this is a, the infighting in the Democratic Party. You have the extreme progressive social communist Marxist. Then you have the more moderate Democrat progressive types, which uh, it, the difference is unbelievable and that that's mind boggling to think about. It would be like, uh, having somebody who is, um, a, just a regular conservative versus, uh, you know, a, a KKK grandmaster. That's the, that's the kind of difference we're talking about in the Democratic Party. And you see the younger generations moving toward that more extreme faction of the party. But again, uh, you know, this lady changing, flip-flopping, and not understanding the issues, speaking out of turn without the right information, and she's the face of the Democratic Party. That tells us a lot right there. We have with us Coach Dave from CoachDaveLive.com. Coach, it's great to have you back on the show. You hearing me okay here, Joe? We hear you loud and clear. All right, buddy. I, I ran back real quickly back to my hotel here and tried to make sure I got all the wires connected into the right place. I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. You know, uh, Doug, you know, I'd like to say... Uh, Coach Dave and I'm live. We, we're, we're trying to be a moving target. We're here this week 
is part of Operation Save America's national event where we, we take the gospel of Jesus Street. Had a wonderful day today down in downtown Indianapolis, hitting a lot of different venues. And uh, just honored honored to be on with you. And I'm sorry if my hotel internet's slow and something happens. We we can switch over to my to my phone. So God bless you, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Do you have to get a permit to uh, uh, share the gospel during these events? Well, uh, it, was, it was unbelievable today because we were in downtown uh, Indianapolis. They have a big war memorial in downtown. Very, very big. In fact, all the cars in downtown circle around this war memorial. We set up a video, uh, a uh, abortion display downtown. We set up a DA system. Brother, there were no sound ordinances or anything. Man, we were, we were, we were preaching the gospel all day. And we're talking specifically about abortion. And I tried to, uh, you know, I had a couple of turns on the, on the microphone and I tried to let people know how much we've been lied to about abortion. Think about this, Joe. We're talking about 45 year old science. We're still operating on 45 year old science here in this, this desire to try to rescue unborn babies. We go back to when, you know, that, they had, maybe they had sonograms, but I don't think they did. Now we got 4D, 5D sonograms. We can look right in there. We know it's a baby. Back in 1973, they didn't know it's a baby. But unfortunately, they're still using that same old science. And the guys on our side, we have not been very, we haven't been very good of upping our game and helping people understand that, uh, it is a baby. Science has proven it's a baby. In fact, they do surgeries on babies while they're inside the womb. It's not a woman's body. No matter what she said, the, uh, the baby has its own DNA. It has its own blood type. Uh, in fact, half of them are men. They have male sex organs. <laughs> Even in this crazy world today, <laughs> females don't have male sex organs, right? And so we think it's a lot of bad science and a lot of bad information from from the church, from people on our side. And so when we go out, I always go to try to lift up truth. Jesus is the truth. He said, if I be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto me. But a lot of times when we do a war like this out in the street, we, we fight from a secular perspective. You have to, you know, we Christians, sometimes we don't understand it. You're not going to convince somebody, even though the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and dividing even under the soul and the spirit. Even though it, that the word doesn't return void, you still have to win the argument sometimes, Joe, from a secular point of view to explain to some yeah. guy who doesn't know, doesn't know God from Buddha, explain to him why that is a human being inside of a woman. Why it's not her body and why nobody has the right to kill it. So we focus, I focus a lot on what they call apologetics from a, from a uh, cultural, uh, scientific, real world perspective. If you can yep. convince somebody, if you can destroy their argument where they live, you get a chance. If I just come in and I start swinging away with, thus saith the Lord, they don't believe in the Lord. They're going to turn you out right away. So we mix the word of God with the with the scientific secular argument and everything we do homosexuality uh abortion i don't care what it is broken families we try to win the battle from a secular point of view because you know we can win it that way truth is truth and believe it or not there is still a little bit of truth in science science based truth and so we fight with that as well we find it to be very very effective now one of the things you run into uh is people you know you I don't care who you are. You don't want to lose an argument with somebody, do you? No. So if you have two two people from two point two different points of view, you don't want to give in to that. So it, and when I when I'm out on the streets, uh, Joe, it's never about being right or convincing 
the other side that I'm right. It's about, number one, planting seeds of truth, and number two, destroying their argument. Because when they walk away, and they go back to work, or they go back to wherever they go back to, those seeds of truth that I've planted in them, I have to trust at that point for the Word of God to work upon those secular seeds of truth, those that scientific seeds of truth, to get them to question it from their own perspective and say, you know, that guy, <coughs> that guy was right. I, you know, he was right. Perry, he was making some pretty good arguments out there. And those are arguments made from a worldly, I hate to use the term secular, but I know that you understand what I mean. And so we try to convince them that way. A man convinced his will is still unconvinced still, or something, something like that, right? So we try to, uh, we have found out that the greatest truth somebody comes to is one they come to on their own. Somebody didn't make them believe. Absolutely. And, and coach, I want to, I don't know if we, you had a chance to talk about this or see this, but last week there was an article, or now it's been maybe 10 days, uh, that featured the study done on babies in the womb and their response to uh, stimuli, mostly music, uh, classical music, Mozart, Christmas carols, and Mickey Mouse music. But, the article lifeaction.org has a piece from the 1st of July that showed uh, that uh, children in the womb, 18 to 38 weeks old, responded to music that was piped in. Uh, the study was conducted in Spain. Uh, it went on for a number of years, and, and I believe it was 300 children. But it showed that uh, the researchers observed babies and their facial expressions, their movements, their tongues, and uh, it seemed like they were almost singing. Uh, and the study concluded that, that sh- obviously, that they respond to this and that it stimulates the brain and helps with the development. But when we read stories like this, and then you think about the other side of this, the Michelle Wolfs, who has a, a special on Netflix celebrating abortion, and they, they have changed the language. Uh, it You know, what is the truth of the matter is the murdering of a baby in the womb is now called abortion, is now mm-hmm. called a women's reproductive health right, and they completely change the definition, call it a clump of cells, anything to dehumanize it. Yet we see studies like this that show the opposite is true, that not only are these uh, fetuses, these clumps of cells, living with heartbeats, but they can respond to music, and they even favored the classical music in the study. Change the word, change the world. That's what I've always said. Uh, Joe, and that's how they've been successful at it, right? They don't call it a baby, they call it a fetus. They, they don't call it abortion, they call it choice, and all of that. But, but folks, listen, this is not hard. We have got to, we've got to quit using their language. My daughter, our daughters, two, we have two daughters, they're both pregnant right now. Uh, one's, uh, one's gonna be here by December, one's gonna be here in January, I think grandpa doesn't always remember the date. But my daughter sits around, she constantly rubs, they, they rub their belly, rub their little baby, because the baby's kicking in there. And so, I, I just, I was on the P, uh, public address today, Joe, and I asked people this question. How many of you, when you see somebody's pregnant, do you walk up to the girl and say, how's your body? Well, you would never say that. You would go and say, how's your baby? Right. When's your baby due? Right? Is exactly. your baby kicking yet? Do you know whether it's a boy or a girl? But, we, see, we, because a woman wants to have a baby, wanted babies, we identify them as babies. But babies that aren't wanted, we identify as fetuses, blobs of tissue, my body. Well, we know this, Joe. 
That's a human being inside. Everybody knows that. They can deny it. We know it's a human being. When that little baby comes to full growth, it ain't coming out a frog. It's not going to be a cow. It's not going to be a butterfly. It's going to be a human being. So everyone knows it's a baby. Why do we allow them to continue to argue over it? So when we're out on the streets, one of the arguments, one of the debates that we try to make is, not number one, is it a human being? And if it's a human being, does anyone have the right to be able to kill? Does a mother have a right to kill her baby? Well, we know, Joe, that the, the average person would say, born baby? No. Well, okay. The baby that is pregnant in the mother is already in this world. It just happens to be inside. The location has changed. And so we try to get people to, to think arguments like that. When a woman says, well, it's her body, they really got a different DNA, different blood type that, uh, as I said earlier, has male sex organs. That's not your body. You're not your mother's body. When you were born, you were your own. So you understand the simplicity yeah. of the argument? This oh, is yeah. common sense. <clears throat> no, it is, it is common yeah, we, sense. We're not, we're not very good. We're, as I said, we're letting them live on 45-year-old technology when technology is so far ahead of them. The scriptures say that a people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And that, that includes the average Joe walking down the street. And we change a lot of minds. But what you run into, uh, Joe, is uh, I think it was George Barna just had some statistics that said that 33, this is shocking, 33% of Christians in America believe it is a baby. But Wait, believe, the only, only 33% believe it's a baby? Only 33%. Well, let me finish. <coughs> Excuse me. 33% believe it's a baby and you should have the right to kill it. So there show there shows the double mindedness that we have. So that it's a child, but think we ought to have the right to be. So that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff we try to push back against. And uh, you know we we try to we try to help as people say we try to get people saved. But we're in the battle for the unborn, and we're in the battle for truth. And we put that force first and foremost in, in, in every argument we make. By the way, Joe, there's uh, about 400 of us, not just me and a ragtag bunch of six or seven guys. There's about 400 of us. In, all across America and a lot of young kids. Great encouragement in my heart. The number of kids. I'm talking children under the age of 16, 17. A lot of them are here who understand the debate, understand the argument, and can stand out on the street and uh, convince those people who are their age uh, about the, the fact that it's a baby inside. So, so uh, I'm encouraged, brother. I'm encouraged. Yeah, and you know, this is the thing that gets me. Uh, as you said, the, t- giving the facts and helping to change the minds. One of the, the the big disconnects with abortion, with Planned Parenthood, is that we see a disproportionate amount of uh, African Americans use the services of Planned Parenthood. And do these people not know that the founder uh, of Planned Parenthood created that organization for the exact purpose to exterminate the race in her own words? And if uh, my question is, if how many people would have it had changed their view uh, on Planned Parenthood if they if they knew that information and, and read through uh, you know those stories themselves, or wouldn't it matter to them? And if it wouldn't matter to them, or just like the example you just gave, Christians admitting it's a baby yet saying yeah it's okay still, um, then that's a bigger problem. I'm convinced of this, Joe, that if we could ever awaken 
black America to the abortion holocaust and the eugenic movement, eugenics movement that's at the heart of abortion. Abortion would be outlawed yep. tomorrow. Yep. But, but we have a really, really difficult problem with that, Joe. And here's what, here's what it is. And listen, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I just kind of tell it like this, okay? For the most part, our black churches, African American churches, vote Democrat. And they vote Democrat specifically for cultural reasons or whatever. And uh, they really voted Democrat when Barack Obama ran as president of the United States. And I kind of, I kind of understand identity politics. I get, I get that. But when, when I try to have conversations, Joe, with, uh, black people of faith, pastors included, they don't want to take the issue on. You know why? Because it, for them to admit that abortion, black babies, are you ready for this statistic? They're 12% of the population and about 39% of the abortion, black babies. Now, let me, let me whittle that down a second. Blacks are 12% of the population. Only half of them are women. So 6% of the population, you follow me here? Mm-hmm. 6% of the population are having 40% of the abortions, nearly 40% of the abortions. But one of the issues that we're dealing with there is that is a very strong position of the Democrat Party. And blacks have historically, well, not historically, but since the 1960s, have voted what? What do we see? Ninety-three percent of them voted for Hillary, but she was a Democrat. And for us to bring and lay on the table the fact that when they vote for that, they're voting for the killing of unborn black babies makes them really, really uncomfortable. But we're trying really hard to make inroads into into the black community, black pastors, and black churches. I'm telling you right now, it's almost a uh, political taboo. They don't they don't because they see that uh, Joe. If they come out, they come out against abortion. They're coming out against their president, right? Barack Obama, who was the most pro-abortion president in, in American history. And they just don't want to believe that about him. They just don't want to believe that. And uh, so we have a, we have, if we could convince them, really help them to understand that the entire Planned Parenthood movement was a legit move. Get rid of what Margaret Sanger, the founder, called human weed, useless eater. If we could convince black America that's what was going on, Abortion would be over in a month. Yeah, it, it would, and also, you know, the fact that uh, the African American vote is, is such a high percentage uh, voting Democrat. It's amazing because, you know, if we go back to the history of the Democratic Party on issues of race and civil rights, uh, every time they have been on the wrong side of history, regardless of what they say or how they try to justify it or say the party switched magically. Uh, at some point, you know, uh, they were opposed to the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, watch the video, uh, to the audience out there. It's from PragerU. It's called The Un- Inconvenient Truth of the Democratic Party. It's a five minute video and it explains everything with, with the s- statistics and all. And, uh, it's just amazing. I mean, just that little bit of information about Planned Parenthood and the true history of the Democratic Party. If we could get it into the hands of, uh, the African American community who would be willing to sit down and read it with an open heart, that could, as you said, that could change a country tomorrow. Well, in fairness, a full disclosure, Republicans who believe a lot of stuff is not true as well. Yeah. So I don't want this to sound like I'm oh, saying no, no. all those. Okay, I just want to make sure that people, that people understand what I'm, what I'm saying. We all believe a lot of things that aren't true. Can I give you a for instance? I didn't, I don't know if you wanted to weave into this thing or not. 
with what's going on with President Trump right now, Joe, I cannot believe that that the average person can't understand that. Cannot understand that this whole Russian thing is a fraud. And if I was sitting in President Trump's seat, and they're talking about the intelligence community, and I'm looking at everything that they have done to try to screw him over, boy, he'd have to swallow pretty hard to say that he supports the intelligence community, wouldn't you? And I, I think that's probably what uh, all this hubbub that's going on. See, they, they're now all focusing on Russia, Russia, Russia again, because they have been brainwashed and convinced that Trump cheated. And it's all that same programming going on. And I sit back and I, I look at that and I say, can't people see, can't people see that they've been programmed? Can't they see what's going on here? And Joe, they can't. Can't they see what's going on in this abortion? They can't see it's a human being? No, they can't. They can't or they don't want to. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. So again, in, in fairness to whole disclosure, I got as much bone to pick with the Republican Party as oh, I yeah. do with the Democratic Party in a lot, in a lot of ways. But the uh, truth is truth. And I think if those of us who, how about this? How about those of us who go to church? How about if we uh, peeled off our skin color for a while and we voted the way Jesus What if we did that? Stop, stop worrying about all this other stuff about government handouts or about all these things. Let's find what Jesus' position is on it and then let's support that position. We would, uh, we would see this country, I believe, right itself in a very short period of time. But uh, Joe, Joe, I told my wife today, the average young person on the street of Indianapolis hates Jesus. Now, they may not hate Jesus. They hate his rule and his regulations, and they don't want him telling him, they don't want him telling them what they're, what they're able to do. We have a real, real crisis with our young people, and we better uh, figure out what we're going to do about that very quickly. Well, you're right. It is a crisis, and the only thing I can, the, the only thing I can think of to understand what we're, what we, what we are witnessing is a, a spiritual bankruptcy, a spiritual deception that is uh, working its way to in the minds and the hearts of men uh, so they can't cross that barrier. You, Coach, I know you're the same way as me. Uh, you know, you're Christian, you believe in Jesus, you study the Bible, but at some point you have that moment or series of moments that leads you to a much deeper understanding, a life-changing yeah. type of it. That 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 does not seem to be accessible to these people, regardless of the facts that are presented in front of them. And many times we find out, even if you're you're right on the facts, their response would would be, even if it's evil, they'll support it. it it's almost like uh, it reminds me of in Egypt when the Lord said He would harden Pharaoh's heart. It, it's that same kind of mentality, and it seems to be a collective hive mind type mentality, and Perfect. all these people share it. It's groupthink, brother. And you know, I was on on my own show this morning or this week. I shared the idea of uh, Romans chapter twelve, verse one says, "I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service." Now, listen, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And I focused it in, focused in on just those two words. And Joe, here's what we're fighting all across the fruited plain, if I can feel that from Russia, is every one of our institutions, including the church, is doing everything they can to get people to conform. 
to conform. Jesus said, don't be conformed. To conform. You have a form, F-O-R-M, you something, and to conform, it means that they all look the same. He said, don't be conformed to this world. And think about it. Think from a Christian perspective. When someone's a, a Lutheran or somebody's a Methodist or somebody's a Presbyterian, they, everyone in that, in that box, that religious box, they believe the same thing. They've been conformed to that belief system. Then we look at what's going on outside the world, and they're all being conformed to a different set of beliefs, whether it be races, skin color, age, ethnicity, mm-hmm. social. They're all being. We're all trying to be. See, you got to bake a cake for some. You have to bake a cake for a homosexual couple because they want you to conform to their standard of right and wrong. You see the picture. See what's going on. And what was it? Christ said, "Don't be conformed." Be transformed. That's right. Transformed. That's Something right. entirely different. Joe, uh, you're a little bit younger than me. Did, hey, Coach, Coach, hold, hold that thought. We're up against the break. we got to take it right. right now, but we're going to pick up right here on the, the issue of uh, transformation on the other side. Don't go anywhere. talking with Coach Dave from Coach Dave Live, and we uh, had to reconnect with him during the break. I'm sure many of you heard uh, he had some choppiness in his uh, on his side of the aisle, and we wanted to get a clear signal so we can hear everything he has to say. He's traveling right now, um, and we're we, uh, Indianapolis, I think he said he's in, and um, we were talking before the break about the transformation, uh, not conforming to the world. What we see today, which is the, to me, one of the number one signals of an apostate church as described in the Bible, is not only the people, Christians, uh, people who call themselves Christians, transforming or, or conforming to the world, sorry, but also the churches who are supposed to be the foundations of the biblical word of the Lord are also abandoning that and conforming to the world to the point where now Christian churches accept homosexual pastors, marriages. I mean, there's no limits to what they won't conform to. And it is rare to find a a church anymore that is willing to to tell it like it is, the truth of the matter, politically, if they even get into those areas. But most importantly, just to stick to the Word of God and the Bible. It's rare. And that tells me we are in a time unlike any other. And Coach from Coach Dave Live is with us. And Coach, you were talking about the process of transformation, transforming out of the world, coming out of the world, as the scripture says, uh, as it says about Babylon, come out of her, my people. And we see, uh, it's just unbelievable to see the state of the church. It's even worse than the state of the two political parties in this country. Well, that's that's where a lot of the division is, Joe. And if 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 I can stay on this conform thing, I think it's really really important for us to to understand. Remember, Jesus said we were the salt of the earth. By the way, I apologize for the technical difficulties here. It's, you know, we live. And I'm in a hotel. We can put a man on the moon, Joe, but we can't get a signal in a hotel. <laughs> you, know? yeah. uh, you explain that one to me. So we've seen the church. Jesus, Paul warned us not to be conformed. Now let's start here at the beginning. God formed man, there's that word, formed man out of the dust of the earth, formed him. So from the time we are formed, in the image of God, by the way, Joe, from the moment we have been formed, there has been a battle to do 
four different things to us. You ready for this one, brother? We're, we are going to be conformed to the world. We're going to be deformed by the world, we're going to be transformed by the power of God, or we're going to have the opportunity to do a reforming. Four, five different forms of that word. And so what we see going on in America today is that the world has conformed. The church has conformed to the world. In fact, Joe, many of the churches have conformed to the world, as you just said. The world has become the salt of the church. We've got it just backwards. So here's where we are. See, the power of Jesus Christ in my life, I don't know about any people out there listening, it transformed me. It's like when I started to say before we went to break, Joe, when you were a little guy, did your dad ever take you to McDonald's where you got one of those transformers inside your oh, yeah. your uh, hamburger box? And you took that thing out and you twisted it around and it became a car and it became a robot. And that's what's supposed to happen when you receive Christ. You become a brand new creature, a transformation, right? So here we are in, in the American church today, and the American church has begun to conform to the world. In other words, look like the world, act like the world, speak like the world, accept things of the world. When Jesus said, don't let that happen to you. So what happens when something becomes conformed, it eventually leads to deformed. You become deformed to undo the form that you originally had. And so the church is not only conforming, it is being deformed. Joe, I turn I turn on Facebook, I go to the internet, and I see where uh, they're, you know, they're ordaining transgendered ministers. Joe, what the heck? That's a deformed church, brother. That's more than a conformed. That's a deformed church. So now, now we're faced with two different opportunities. We can reform it. Isn't it amazing, these words? Words have meaning. We can reform the church and try to get it back to its original form. But when we even talk about that, the first century church, how do we go back and reform the church back in that first century? Well, we are in the mess we are in because we did not obey Paul's admonition to be transformed, to go above and beyond and over the world into a brand new creature. And I, I believe that's not Joe. I, I preach that every, every time I'm out on the street. We need a transformation because it happened to me, brother. It happened to me. And w- what we're dealing with in America today, I'm sorry to go on this rant. Just let me get this off. I'll sleep better tonight, Joe. Yeah, go for uh, it. W- brother, here, here's, what, here's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with many people who have an intellectual salvation. And you know who those are for the most part, Joe? Those are people who received Jesus when they were six years old or seven years old, and they were born in the, they, they were raised in the church, in the church their whole life, and now they're 35 and 40 years old, and they've all, always been Christians. They've just always. Well, that's an intellectual understanding of the gospel. That's not a spiritual transformation. A spiritual transformation, as I said, when, when John, uh, in the book of John, when John said to Nicodemus, you must be born again unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And I, I tell people that being born again is like getting a, a, an app downloaded off of a computer. And that's the way I try to explain it to people. They say, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I said, let me ask you something. Have you ever downloaded the app? And they say, what? 
I said, yeah, the, the Holy Spirit. Have you ever downloaded the Holy Spirit, the, the computer app that makes the Bible make sense to you, makes God's Word make sense to you? Have you ever done that? And all we have to do is look in the book of Acts. And, and uh, Paul, uh, Peter asked them the same question. They said, what are you talking about? We've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit's the app, Joe. And that's what brings the transformation in a person's life is an infilling of the Holy Spirit that makes those things that you could not understand before understandable. In fact, Paul said that the natural man, the guy who's been in church his whole life and was was became a Christian at age four and has always been a Christian, has he ever received that infilling rebirth of the Holy Spirit? If he hasn't, Paul said that the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. Neither can he. He can't understand it. He doesn't have the computer app. So we need a reformation. We need a transformation in the American church. And if we get that, Joe, then we have the ability to transform our society and our culture. And as I always say, the problem always comes back to the church and to the pulpit specifically. Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, it it is one of the saddest things that I've uh, witnessed in my life is that we we just documented a case not too long ago in New Jersey where a pastor who was a male underwent gender reassignment surgery to become a transgender and the uh church had a celebration when the pastor returned and they they gave him her him whatever a new name and uh celebrated it and you know when when we think of what the Bible says of if the righteous are sparingly saved, you know, what, what chance does the sinner have when it talks mm-hmm. about, and when you, when you think about this whole transformed and transgender, think about this. With the homosexual agenda, many people would argue, well, I was born that way. And that is like saying, well, uh, the, the Lord made a mistake and, you know, somehow the wires got crossed. But being transgendered, you're saying, not, not only was, uh, you know, but you were born, you were born in the wrong type of body. God screwed up so bad that you need to have medical procedures to change your body type and your gender because God did not make you right. That just isn't true and can't happen. So it what is really true. going on with this? Well, see, Joe, it, it's the same thing. Number one, they're trying to force all of us to conform to that belief, aren't they? You see it everywhere in society. You, Joe, right now, I'm in Facebook jail. It's my third time. <laughs> I live in jail, brother. I live in Facebook jail. I can't post on Facebook. I'm, I was banned for YouTube, although I'm back on YouTube now. Vimeo has thrown me out. And why has Vimeo thrown me out? Why has YouTube banned me? Why has Facebook banned me? Because I won't conform to their belief system. And we are finding right now, see, uh, we're being undermined in the church by other Christians who have already conformed, who say, listen, if we don't accept Tommy wanting to be a woman, then we're going to lose Tommy. So therefore, they, they compromise on their values, they compromise on the truth, trying to make Tommy feel like uh, accepted and loved and all that stuff, but they've, 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 they're turning Christianity into a, they're deforming it, they're turning it into something that it never 
was. And so the, the conforming is very strong, very powerful, and very real. And I find it, as, you know, again, we're out here on the streets in Indianapolis. Joe, the number of people who identify uh, sort of as Christians is probably about 70%. Brother, they're no more. As my buddy Flip Benham says, they're more no more Christian than they are a post egg, a poached egg, and it's happened because of the conformation of the church to things that simply are of the world. You know, this is one of the uh, big problems in this country, and, and we see polls. Uh, people say uh, that do polls. I think the last numbers were seventy percent of Americans uh, said they were Christians. Uh, at least verbally, and, and said, yes, I, I'm a Christian, technically, or whatever, however you want to word it. And I wonder, you know, it, it, how many of that, when we say a Christian, is somebody who is just goes to church, you know, on Sunday or on holidays, or uh, just said, acknowledges that there is a God and they believe that it's Jesus. But th- that's, to me, uh, you have to have, as the Scripture says, you have to have the mind of Christ. You have to, you know... Right. Have that righteousness and that humility, and that is something that is bestowed upon you as you continue to mature in your faith. But it seems that the church has been neutered so much that the maturity part is of your own responsibility, but that has been removed. And the pastors are not accountable to do that, apparently, but they don't anyway. And we see that uh, the people who, out of those 70% of Americans who consider themselves Christian, I'd say maybe 20%. Maybe twenty percent actually are what we would define as Christians. But coach, I wanted to ask they're you this: you know, they're intellectual Christians, Joe. They're in a, they right. have head knowledge, but they don't understand it. So we, uh, un, uh, Christian, uh, us Christians, we understand we are all sinners. What, what would you say to uh, the people who acknowledge the children or the the kids in the wombs are living babies and are still okay with uh, the the murder taking place versus just the uh, re- uh, other sins that Christians commit. I mean, because we have to differentiate. A sin is a sin. But when you're actively continuing to promote and, and uh, be active in that sin versus, uh, I don't know, sinning and, and repenting for it and, and asking in, in prayer for forgiveness, there's a difference there. And we need to make we need to understand as Christians that we are all sinners. Uh, but at the same time, there are people who seem to be Acknowledging themselves as Christians who are proud of the sin that they're in. Mm. Yeah, well, that's because again, it's an intellectual understanding of the gospel, not really understanding that uh, of the sinful nature that they have. But something that to me is just as amazing, Joe, is, is I again, buddy, I, I work the streets, not I. We work the streets for about seven hours a day in downtown Indianapolis. We had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people, and, and Joe, listen. You don't have to be a Christian to think abortion's wrong. You don't have to. In fact, you would be surprised the number of people that we come across who aren't Christians who don't think abortion's okay. The question we need to ask ourselves, hey, Joe, if, if, if they had a picture of me, if they took a video of me, I didn't do this, but if I were to go down downtown Indianapolis tomorrow and they were cut off the head of a puppy, and somebody filmed that. Can you imagine the outrage that we would see as a result of that, Joe? I mean, it would be, it would go viral. It would be everywhere. Oh yeah, my name people... would be. A, I'd be a household name, right? 
Yeah, people care more about the about that kind of stuff than they do about actual human beings for whatever reason. I don't get it, but yeah. Well, I do get it because see what they what they have done now is that we've done word association and puppy. Everybody loves a puppy. Nobody wants see. We don't hear a mommy puppy talking about that puppy uh, being part of her own body. We don't hear that kind of lingo going on, do we? No, we we understand that puppy's a puppy and you know it's alive. But how, how, what has happened to us that we take that same thing and we refer to a woman that has a has a child inside of her and we're not outraged by the fact that that little baby's going to be dismembered? You say, well, Coach, those aren't the same. Well, yes, they are. <laughs> They're absolutely the, the same thing. And so it's been this idea, this one of the ways that the church, is, the church has been deformed or conformed is to believe that because Christ forgives sin, he therefore ignores sin. The idea that you can be a Christian, number one, Joe, and have sex outside of marriage, brother, first of all, that's wrong, and the sex outside of marriage produces a child, and the child is killed because of the sin of having sex outside the marriage. Well, we look at the, that situation and say, well, that woman is in a tough situation. She's in a tough situation, and she ought to have the right to be able to choose what she's going to do with her own body. But, Joe, no, no, no. No, it's her sin that got her in that situation. And as my mom always told me, two wrongs don't make a right. But, see, it's only, I believe, Joe, only in the church where grace is so cheap, cheap grace, that we as Christians say, oh, well, Jesus will forgive her. We've had we've had girls say that to us at the abortion clinic, going into the clinic saying, I'm a Christian, Jesus will forgive me. That's a sin of presumption, Joe. And only a Christian, I'm sorry, only a Christian can think like that. How, do you, how can you think that way? When the average guy on the street that's lost, he understands right and wrong. And you go to the average guy on the street and you say, what do you think about abortion? And you show him the pictures. He doesn't equivocate and say a woman ought to have a right to do that. He says, oh, dude, that's wrong. Joe, what's happened to us who are supposed to have the mind of Christ that we can no longer di- differentiate between good and evil? But Christ warned us, didn't he? He said they would come when they would call evil good and good evil. And, brother, we see it everywhere. And the Holy Spirit and the church the, the spirit-filled church, by that spirit-filled, I mean a church where Christ is living and vibrant, the, the spirit-filled church was the, the antidote to all of this evil that we've conformed. We've brought all of the evil into the church, and now the church looks pretty much like the culture. Yes, it does, and just uh, looking at it in, in Ephesians 5, it uh, says this, Redeem the time because the days are evil and that is exactly what we are seeing and witnessing in today's world and we uh you know we always talk about the problems and we we try to figure out solutions you're doing a great job and have been doing a great job of boots on the ground of of being on on scene whether it's the the flood in Houston and and feeding uh the people who are out of their homes and displaced or uh, protesting and uh, from the Supreme Court to uh, abortion clinics, we have to get involved, whether that's a Bible study, whether that's praying with your wife or a family member or a friend. We then The ministry does not stop uh, internally. We don't isolate and internalize it. It needs to be shared 
and that's how you know you not only grow in your faith but continue to grow in understanding but we seem to have lost that and to be honest coach outside of the circle of people i trust you know the the immediate people i deal with on a daily basis and uh, people i interact with such as yourself and other guests on the show uh, i don't even get out there i mean it i don't i'm not on the street corner evangelizing uh or, or doing things like that but maybe i should be or finding something uh another way to positively contribute to spreading uh, the word about god and and to show and be an example of that love as the gospel is uh, taught us to do and maybe that is a, another aspect that the christian church is lacking on even those who are very dedicated in their faith well it's a funny uh, i remember as a young guy in my early 20s somebody told me there's two things you don't argue with especially in the family religion and politics that's what they told us joe and you know it's just the opposite those are the two things we ought to be arguing with our family about because that is the essence of the American culture and, and the American society. So what's happened to us is that uh, Matthew 5, uh, verse 13, you know, our ministry is called Pass the Salt, and that comes from uh, Matthew five thirteen, which says, You are the salt of the earth. Joe, we're not the sugar of the earth. We're not the honey of the earth. We're not the honeycomb. We're not. We're the salt of the earth. And if we ha- we've got to come to the realization that we are the ones that keep the culture from what does salt do? Keep it from rotting, from decaying. I use salt to put it on meat to keep it fresh. It it uh, it kills slugs. Well, that's what, that's what we're supposed to do. And unfortunately, salt does not have the same taste as sugar. They don't taste the same. You see the line for people at an ice cream stand. You don't necessarily see them in line at the salt shaker, right? Because you can a little bit of it's more than you're able to handle. But that's what Christ called us to be, to be the salt of the earth, the preservative. And again, in that same scripture, it says if the salt loses its savor, it's henceforth good for nothing. And uh, there are a lot of, I don't want people to be discouraged. I know a lot of great, great, great God-fearing Christians. Really, really, do, really do. And people who are really, really concerned about the culture. But Joe, you got to go fish where the fish are. And the fish aren't in the church, brother. Now there may be some, there may be some fish in the church. There may be, but for the most part, the fish are down there where I was today in Indianapolis. That's where they are. They're going to be out there tomorrow. They're going to be out there the day after. I'm reminded of the song that I think it was Steve Green. Uh, uh, we said, uh, people need the Lord. Every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, heading who knows where. Christians, these are, this is the people that we're supposed to be reaching. The odds of them coming to your church are not very good. And the question we ought to also ask ourselves is, if they came to your church, what would they find? What would they leave with? And that's why my heart is excited about these uh, the young kids that we have with us uh, that are, who understand we're counterculture. It's what we're trying to teach them: your counterculture. You're, most of your generation has, has gone the way of the world. We're counterculture. We've got to go find them. We have to teach them the power of the cross and the power of Christ and the power of forgiveness. We have to teach them right from wrong. We have to teach them to stand up and speak up. We have to teach them that they are the, they are the solution to the problem in our in our society. Not go to church so you can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Not go to church so you can have a better life now, but go to church so you can make an impact for the cause of Christ for your children and your grandchildren's sake. And so uh, coming back to Buddy, we 
need a reformation. <laughs> we need a reformation. And if we get a transformation, we're going to see a reformation. Mm-hmm. And I just happen to be one of those guys that's crazy enough to think that God is not finished yet. And so I'm going to be out there again tomorrow, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, doing my best to, to be the salt of the world that Christ called me to be. And I'm not condemning anybody that doesn't go, Joe, because, you know, it's overwhelming. And I get out there, and sometimes my knees knock, and sometimes I, you know, I just would rather not have to talk about it. But, brother, uh, every one of those people made in the image of God. uh, Eternal life is available to them. It's not granted to them. It's available to them. And somebody's got to go tell them. And so uh, I just find that to be part of the call that he's put upon my life. Well, you do such a great job of it, Coach, and we're blessed to have you uh, as a uh, a guest and as a friend, and we uh, need more coaches, more people like you out there on the front lines, uh, you know, representing the church, representing uh, and standing up for the people who, the babies without the voices. And it, it is, uh, you know, such a, a time we live in where they no longer hide their desire to kill the baby and they don't care if they now yeah. admit it's a baby and the next argument from that is I've heard uh, well what they can't contribute to society so it doesn't matter but anyway coach we only have three two minutes left anything we didn't talk about that you want to get into no it's just always it's always great to be be with you guys listen fellas we got to realize this we have got to capture we got to capture the next generation if we do not get the next generation what do they call them, Joe? Millennials? I don't even know. I don't even know how to keep up with them anymore. No, now. we're done with millennials. We're something else. Well, Generation yeah, whatever Z. Whatever we I are, think. brother. Yeah. And I, I look at my own. Uh, uh, we have four grandchildren. We have two more that are on the way. I got six grandchildren, and my grandchildren are going to live in the same world with a lot of those people walking the streets down in Indianapolis, where their grandkids are gonna are gonna live. And I'm not. I'm not trying to sound like I'm holier than thou, but I look at those kids that are on the streets. In Indianapolis, the lost children, the lost children in our public schools. And then I look at these good Christian children that we have that are out here ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I ask a very simple question. Which group do you want to be in charge? 30 years from now, which group do you want to turn America over to? And, Joe, I don't think there's any doubt. There's no doubt that these children who are moral, those are the ones we need our leaders. Otherwise, we're going to have more Hillary Clintons. We're going to have more Mitch McConnells. That's what we're going to get if we don't begin to, once again, teach our children right from wrong. So that's where the battle lies, brother, and we try to fight that every day of our lives. Appreciate you guys and the platform that you give us. And and, uh, just want you to know, brother, that we're, we're doing the best we can to make a difference right out here in the streets. Well, and again, I can't say it enough, Coach. CoachDaveLive.com, just fantastic work he's been doing. And uh, make sure you join him in the morning for, uh, was it 7 a.m. you do your uh, broadcast? Yeah, but it's archived all all day there. It's all free. uh, It's edgy stuff, Joe. It's edgy Christianity. But I think it's the type of Christianity that we're going to have to live out if we're going to have a chance of rescuing our nation. Yes, absolutely. Well, God bless you, Coach, and thanks for all your hard work. We will be talking with you soon, Lord willing. Hi to your dad and hi to John and all the crew there at uh, Hagman. God bless you guys. Will do. All right, that was Coach Dave. We have uh, a break coming up in just a few moments, but we uh, and, and then Standeo is going to be uh, coming up after the break. But while we have the time, uh, I didn't get a chance to read this from the Gateway Pundit, but the headline it sounds pretty bad. Portland Gallery puts graphic depiction of President Trump being beheaded on public display. We documented this, uh, Kathy 
Griffin, the, the uh, comedian, so-called comedian, as she did that publicity stunt, cutting off the head of President Trump and having it all bloody and you know, it caused a lot of commotion and controversy. She, uh, and then went on to make a series of, of rants basically, uh, blaming the president for her not being able to get hired because she was a lunatic and on and on and on. Well, now, who is doing it? They are doing this in Portland, uh, putting up the, at the one grand gallery in Portland. They're facing public backlash after they put up an image of President Donald Trump being brutally assassinated in their store window. The graphic is in public view where children will be exposed to it, and it features the caption, F. Trump. We'll pick this up on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to our third and final hour on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. Stan Dale will be our guest in just a moment. But before the break, we were talking about a gallery in Portland, Oregon, depicting a picture of the president in the storefront window of him being decapitated. One of the residents stated, I saw a painting in your storefront window of our president getting his throat slashed. Is Kathy Griffin peddling her art here now? <laughs> Talk about a great way to ruin my lunch, another woman responded. Other art on display inside the gallery includes a painting of the president with a Hitler mustache and missiles with uh, genitalia on them. This is one great example of what the evil and ugliness of our society has done to what we see as art and music they say that what is it art is a reflection of the society and the character of the society well if that is to be true and you look at what is passed along as art today then our society is black inside of their soul because it is amazing what what we are seeing uh, passed off as art the disgusting the vile, the the grotesque. I mean, just the. I don't know. I've never really been a, a fan of art. Never paid attention to it. But only till I I was uh, shown, you know, what is uh, being considered high class art. Stuff that is made with feces. And I mean, I'm not even going to get it into detail here. But it's anything but art. And if art does reflect the inner character of a society, then we are in a lot of trouble. But, as with every Tuesday, we have Standale from Standale.com. Go to the website there and sub, uh, bookmark it. And when Stan comes on, you can follow along the show images page by clicking uh, the show images and then Hagman Report. Stan, it's great to have you back on the show. Good to be back. Am I coming through okay there? Yeah, you sound good and you, you look good. It's deceiving. It's deceiving. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, hey, uh... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I just, uh, I was looking at the show images page and I see you got a lot of historical stuff up there. And I was, uh, um, we, we can get into that whenever you want, but, um, you got some good stories planned for tonight? I do. I okay. do. We're going to take a departure from just normal news. I've got a couple of normal good. news things there, but, uh, we're going to look back a bit, uh, because it relates to what is happening now and, it explains a lot about 
why the members of Deep State and the people who support them do what they do, thinking that they're doing the right thing, of course. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you, Stan, right off the bat, this has been bugging me. It's on the top of my head. <clears throat> we haven't had too much time to talk about it today. The we've we've seen President Trump. We've seen his agenda, his ability to uh, get in a situation with North Korea and Kim Jong Un that looked like nuclear war was imminent, at least according to the media, to where that's been resolved and there's uh, relations of the historical meeting between the two leaders. We've seen uh, NATO just recently NATO agreeing, uh, however minuscule to increase the amount of money, of their money they put in to their defense spending. We're seeing all kinds of positive changes that the president is bringing both domestically and internationally. And we see the media response to the meeting between Trump and Putin. And I, I don't know what to say. You think it can't get any worse. You think they can't find, uh, you know, <laughs> Even more elaborate words to use. I heard the called the meeting called an abomination today. Um, I, I don't stand. What? Why are they freaking out? What? What, what do they think's going on here? Well, let me ask you, Joe. Um, are you mad enough now about all this conflict in our uh, population here, in, over politics primarily, that you want to go out in the street and scream? I've had enough. I'm not going to take it anymore. I've had enough, uh, well, you know, the media, yes. I, and I like President Trump, but I understand the government to be, uh, a, an institution ran by fallen man that attracts the, the most, uh, evilest. That's where all the power structure is. So that's where Satan's seat of authority is. So I've always been against government, but it seems that President Trump's trying to do something positive and is such a different kind of candidate that we had before that I find myself in an odd situation where He's the only government figure I've, I've pretty much ever uh, uh, have been rooting for, and and absolutely I'll continue to keep rooting for him. But yes, uh, the encroachment of the deep state around, even regardless of what Trump does, the Leviathan is so big that uh, as many things as, as President can, Trump can get done, they're going to gain you know momentum in in a hundred different areas that we we can't even uh, stop, let alone or let alone identify all of them. So I guess uh, uh, having uh, said that, that you would support the fact that all the nations of the world are under the influence, if not direct control, of the deep state. Yes. Most all, yes. Most of the major powers, major countries, have an unhappy population that they don't think their government is doing the right thing. Do you know of any major co uh, country where the people are saying, hey, yeah, our president, uh, our queen, etc., is doing the right thing. Yippee. No. No, not people that are... Uh, uh, no. Not at all. No. Okay. This is why I have what you call a historical show images page today. Okay. I've been fighting and my father and his brothers fought while they were alive. The deep state since 1945. Now, I didn't come along and start to uh, join the fight until 1958, but my dad and his brothers, after World War II ended, were fighting to alert people to the communist, uh, to the socialist, to the one world government encroachment into the United States government, at that time just here. Now, I put a link up to the story about this, uh, about my dad staying over in Abadan, uh, in Iran there, 
for two years after the war ended. Now you can read the details of this. It's in slide 53 if you click on it. It's always up there on my website. Dad um, and his men on an Air Force base there at, Ter- at Abaddon, um, like the British contingent on the same Air Force base, wanted to come home at the end of the war. It was over. They wanted to come home and uh, be with their families. Well, part of the OSI, or the um, Intelligence Agency for World War II, sent a message, well, actually a messenger, to my dad and to his men, and to the British there, too. They wanted us to stay there as an American occupation, but not really. It was not sanctioned by the White House, and what they wanted to do was to have Dad and his men, and on the base there, all the, the Brits that stayed as well, to change their uniforms so that they had uh, a patch from a distance that looked like the proper American or British patch, but they weren't. They were imposters. They were to uh, operate their same routines, you know, shoot the cannon off every morning, you know, for Reveille and uh, uh, at night for taps and, and to still visit with the sheikhs in the area. And they wanted these guys, my dad and his men, to stay there as civilians but looking like military to keep the Russians who were lined up on the border from coming down into the Middle East to take the oil fields at that time. Now, if my dad and his men hadn't stayed there and bluffed the Russians, they would have control of the oil fields today. This thing with uh, Putin and and, uh, President Trump just kind of triggered all this in my mind, remembering how it all happened. And uh, my my dad and his men were paid by uh, cash, in a thick black uh, briefcase. It was flown over every Friday on one of Howard Hughes' uh, TWA airlines. And Howard Hughes was involved in it somehow. I don't know exactly how, but the money came from one of his companies uh, into cash and then to Dad and his men to stay there. Now, after two years, they were allowed to shut down the alleged base and come home. When Dad got home, he um, he saw the signs in our government of the encroaching communist infiltration, the fifth columnist, if you wish. And he started to research more and more about various organizations that were being infiltrated, religious uh, colleges uh, and uh, uh, political organizations, uh, government jobs in various places. And he and his brothers, uh, Jack and George, formed a company called Timely Publications there in Dallas. Uh, at that time, I was starting to be old enough uh, in the, the the late 50s, then I knew what was going on and was allowed to attend the rallies where in Dallas, I remember one where they were protesting the training of Yugoslav communist pilots in Texas who were our enemy at the time. And uh, Dad uh, and uh, two or three other men got together and formed this consortium uh, and Timey Publications uh, was part of it to alert the people of Dallas about what was happening there in Texas. Well, they put in the newspaper, we're going to have this meeting, we're going to protest the Yugoslav training, uh, or the pilots being trained here, you know, for the Yugoslavian government, and uh, come tonight, and we'll have uh, uh, Mr. Latham, an attorney for Howard, uh, for H.L. Hunt, and a few other people to address this issue. Well, I was there in the audience with Dad, and we were up in the the bleachers, because the whole ground floor of the the auditorium there in Dallas was completely packed out. And um, so... The, the, the speaker, I think it was Mr. Latham at the time, was saying, all right, now, you know, we need your help. We're going to have to raise funds to tell the American people what's happening, how we're being infiltrated, and let's stop it now. And so he said, uh, 
I'll, you can just kind of throw your money over the edge of the floor or the, the balcony up there, you guys, and we'll collect it down here and we'll put it together and see if we've got enough to continue with this. With that, my dad reached into his pocket and he'd, he'd been to the bank that day to get the payroll for, you know, the, the guys in his lab that he owned. And he took out a bunch of $1 bills and he threw them. He ran down to the edge of the, the, uh, the area where he was up in the, in the, in the bleachers and he threw probably maybe $50 or so in $1 bills over to the side. And he says, well, here's mine. You've got our support. And with that, the entire auditorium jumped to their feet and started throwing money into the baskets and over the side of the rails. There were bushel baskets being swept up full of money. That's how aggravated uh, the American, the Texans were at that point. And that was, that went on for a week, them just having, you know, uh, uh, general speak, H.O. Uh, uh, Hunt's attorney speak, all kinds of people come and speak. And that was the beginning of uh, our resistance to the deep state. It didn't stop, but we had our company infiltrated. One of our vice presidents turned out to be a deep, straight, uh, deep state agent, and he took a lot of our files and, con- and contact information and stole it one night of about 10,000 people that we had in, in that particular uh, drawer. So the deep state got us even then. It didn't stop us, but they hurt us. Now, Dad went on to uh, print and uh, distribute a lot of J. Abbott Haley's book, A Text and Looks at Lyndon, because of his involvement and the people backing him, which were corrupt. Now, that was back in, in the late 50s and into his, as late as 1962. Okay, he was, as far as I know, one of the early pioneers. Uh, they were also the John Birch Society members who joined us uh, as well, but uh, Dad was the one I knew personally. He saw this, and what was that, like 50, 60 years ago, 70 years ago? It In all that time, all the warning that we did was thwarted by the deep state. Now, unknown to, to me, when I was recruited, in 1971 to go down to Australia to work on the UFO development program or electrogravitic program under Dr. Teller's group, I had no idea that they were deep state. I just thought it was a classified project working on anti-gravity, which of course it was. Now, I found out at the time uh, when I was recruited that this was not just an American project. It was British, it was Canadian, it was Norwegian, it was Russian, it was New Zealand. Uh, You know, the entire allies group were part of it. Now, as part of my education there in the the Teller uh, research uh, uh, project, I did find out about the deep state and why they formed the deep state in 1946 and 47. Actually, they started a little bit earlier, but at the end of World War II, the leaders of the scientists, uh, the uh, bankers, political leaders as well, some of them, all got together, and it was part of like the Bilderberg Group before it started. And what they decided to do was to analyze the entire planet and see how they could avoid a war with nuclear weapons that would destroy the whole planet. And in the progress of their meetings, they also said, look, it's not just nuclear war we've got to be afraid of. We're overpopulating, we're overconsuming resources, and there's no global authority to monitor and control this so that we can keep from, you know, outstretching our nest here. There are too many birds. If we let the, the population keep multiplying, we'll have to fall out of the nest. So they said, okay, it obviously means we have to have a global government with authority 
to be able to control the resources of the whole planet. Well, look at what Hitler did. He forced it. He was a dictator in the countries that he captured. And yet, like in France, the French resistance proved that you can't just force people do, to do your will without resistance forming in little pockets, little groups that make life really miserable for the dictator and the people he's trying to control. They blow up bridges, they blow up supply lines, you know, and you can't catch them all. They just are everywhere. So it's, they said, look, we can't have a new world government that is dictatorial like that because, you know, people will resist and it won't be stable. We won't have the, the, the calm, peaceful government we need to, to save planet Earth and its people. So they said, well, okay, if we don't uh, do it like Hitler and take over the, the, the world's uh, nations at this point in time, because we have the, the military and, and technology to do it, but if we don't do that, if we do something like beef up the United Nations, we know the, the League of Nations failed you know, years before, but the United Nations, perhaps we could beef that up and give it authority to make all the nations of the world kowtow to the, the leadership of the United Nations. Well, that was a good idea, but then they thought about it and they said, you know, look, we can't even get three countries in the United Nations to agree on what type of coffee to serve at their meetings. How are we going to get 197 nations together about how to run a planet? And to run it by uh, consensus and by votes and committees is going to take too long as we approach new technological developments that require rapid action. Now, at that time, they didn't uh, really address the issue of asteroids hitting the Earth or meteors and that kind of stuff, but those kind of situations do require something a little bit quicker with more authority than committees. So they said, look, alternative one was, okay, a Hitler-type uh, you know, control of the Earth as a dictator. Uh, alternative two was control of the Earth by a body of uh, countries and their representatives in a united consortium like the United Nations with a bit more power. But how do we get the people to release that power to a, a one-world authority. Hmm. So alternative one, alternative two, really are fraught with, won't work, with problems. What can we do for alternative three? What's our, our plan C? And they thought about it for a minute, and they said, you know what? If we had a way to get the people of the Earth to demand a world government for their own safety from war and from resource depletion and, you know, all the crisis curves, uh, maybe we could give them a world government for a short period of time, long enough for them to realize it will work, and we can overcome their religious and political and financial differences. Okay, they said, well, alternative three, um, how would we go about that? Well, they said in the meeting, um, look, um, we have a lot of technologies we developed clandestinely, uh, each of our countries, for you know use in the war. Uh, we haven't told the public about it. Now, that's, that's a start for us to develop a hidden line of technological development that we keep from the public. We don't publish in the electronics journals and mechanical engineering uh, journals and that kind of stuff. We, we branch off with a certain amount of technology that's advanced and develop it and others but secretly, so that the people of Earth do not know we have these things. And while that's going on, we'll have normal uh, you know, patents and things going on, people in industry developing products that will advance our, our economic structure across the planet. So it looks like we're doing things, but we'll really be doing things behind the scenes, building an infrastructure and technological society that we can fool the people of Earth with, that we can fool them long enough 
to get them to give us authority over the entire planet. Now, the way we do that is we have to create a race, uh, in quotation marks, of beings that are not from around here, that are, that are aliens, allegedly. And this race has to have advanced technology way beyond what we have on Earth, which is what we'll be developing quietly behind the scenes. And when they appear to us, at times that in our media, we, which we will control, in our media when we told people, look, the planet's dying, the oceans are polluted, uh, radiation's doing that, uh, the sun's got a problem, asteroids are coming our way, all these crisis curves, when these are put into the media and um, expanded psychologically ahead of their actual full threat, then the people of Earth will be looking for someone to solve their problem. And this is when they could fly in, which some people have been calling the, the Operation Blue Beam, but really fly in with new craft and could, uh, you know, present the people of Earth with a non-biased civilization from space that has no religious or political, you know, baggage to carry uh, to give its proposition to the people of Earth. Now they said, this is a difficult task. It's going to be a multi-generational task because a lot of us are old now, so we'll have to pass it on to our children or whoever we appoint to uh, fill our places in this consortium here, this uh, deep state. And we will have to uh, uh, let the people of Earth gradually be accustomed to accepting an alien presence. Well, now this was in the mid, in the mid-40s. Now, to their surprise, instead of having to fake an alien landing, the Roswell event was the second of uh, two major events that presented this alien presence to our leadership in the dark state. They made deals with them, which you've, I'm sure, heard about in, uh, in Truman's time, to uh, contracts to exchange their technology uh, for us building them an infrastructure, manufacturing complexes underground in bases that we would build for them so they can develop technology for themselves, which they would eventually share with us. It was kind of, they were from a long way from home, and they needed infrastructure to build additional technology to stay here with us and help us. Now, that looked like a godsend, and actually it was a devil sin. Uh, these people, uh, or fallen ones spoken of, like the Nephilim and, and the fallen angels from the heavens in the Old Testament, these beings uh, fooled our dark state because the dark state wanted a solution so bad that when it approached them and looked friendly, they didn't look for anything else. They said, here it is, a ready-made package, we can save the earth. And I think that a lot of the cotton top, the old guys that formed this, were nice guys. You know, they, they wanted to save earth. But they also had the baggage of wanting to control earth and, and be in control the way they wanted it. You'll see on my show images page uh, pictures of three that I knew, uh, well, knew about and, and uh, knew personally in one case, in slides 50 and 51. Uh, Dr. Teller, Dr. Andrei Sakharov in, in, uh, Sakharov in Russia, and Captain uh, John P. Williams in Melbourne, who was my uh, supervisor in the Teller project. Now, I knew these guys, uh, you know, in, in uh, Sir John's side, uh, him and uh, Sir Henry and stuff, and um, I met some of the other uh, leaders of the dark state there in the Roundtable organization in Melbourne. Now, the Roundtable was originally British start. They contributed that to the whole global uh, dark state. But that Roundtable was a very prominent people in various industries and government so that they could plan this one world government. Now, a lot of people today that support the dark state, you know, especially actors and, and 
you know, tree huggers and do-gooders. They don't realize what they're doing. Uh, they're helping to solve planet Earth, to save the planet uh, from mankind. And so any of them that actually do find out what the real agenda is and this fake alien landing, and we're going to turn everything over to a one-world government controlled by them in the, in the background, if they do find that, most of them say, oh, well, okay, this for a good cause. I mean, this is really good. We won't tell on you. We won't uh, do media or TV or radio or whatever to expose the dark state. So a lot of people are duped because they don't know enough about what's going on in the dark state. They're duped into promoting uh, activities that will lead to the great deception, the alien landing. Now, I Stan, think... I, it, yeah. you, you covered a lot of ground there, and uh, uh, one of my favorite shows of all time, X-Files, um, you know, covers that plot and what you just described. And it, maybe in the 40s and 50s and 60s, even in the 70s and 80s, it would have been uh, uh, laughed. That kind of talk, would, you know, you'd have been laughed out of the room. Inconceivable that something like that could happen, where uh, mankind or uh, the devil could create some kind of extra, uh, you know, hybrid type being uh, to fake an alien or have an alien invasion, a demonic invasion, uh, masquerading, masquerading as an alien invasion for the purposes of we're here to save you from yourself. Um, but I fear when you look at the advancements in technology and in capabilities as far as aerodynamics and, and anti-gravity and, and look at all the work you've done and what you've been able to accomplish you're telling me that for the last 50 years the u.s military with the biggest corporations with endless amounts of money have not developed uh you know things that are better than the f-35 fighter jet and uh you know uh the icbms i believe i watch this guy all the time and i say I, i've been writing some stuff down it's like the night sky has as much life in it and is as active as the dark ocean. We just can't see it. And I don't know what, what it is out there that, uh, you know, cloaking devices, whatever it is, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the sky and not a lot of it is natural. I don't believe that there are alien races just roaming around in outer space, uh, that God was unaware of or was not part of his creation. Uh, you know, it, this is all biblical. This is all wrapped around this great deception of the last days that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And what better way? I mean, we wouldn't even need a crisis or a collapse. Just their arrival alone would take 95% of Christian believers and they would stop believing immediately if that happened. Oh, yeah. It uh, it would. Um, the slides 43, 44, and 45 are from the the mini series in 1983 that was uh, written and produced by Kenneth Johnson. Now I've tried uh, for a number of years, off and on, to contact him and to thank him for his work because what he put into that mini series was an alien race invades Earth, but not really. They come as friends to share technology with us in return for some seawater that they were short of. I mean, if you could believe that. But anyway, um, in today's standards of movies and things, it's a bit camp. I mean, it's you know pretty straightforward and simple. But the plot is aliens come to Earth looking like humans, but underneath their human disguise, they are lizards or reptilians, and they eat people. Now, you might think that's you know pretty far-fetched. But, you know, for film, it's not. But in the book of Enoch, they talk about the giants, you know, the fallen ones in those days that um, 
you know, ran short of food and started eating humans. So there are biblical records of this, or extra biblical records, telling that the fallen ones will consume human flesh. Um, in fact, if you, uh, just on that side, if you look at slide 54 and later on and click it, and it's one page out of my book, The Cosmic Conspiracy, where I talk about this in the, uh, the book of Enoch and also about the alien god that helps the world leader in the book of Daniel. Uh, these things are biblical. And they, uh, you know, I went to the Hebrew and I translated every word, every jot and tittle in that series of verses to find the truth about the, the, the deception coming. So, uh, I put links on those images of the V series there because these, these beings did almost exactly what the, the deception is going to do. They came to Earth when Earth was in trouble and needed cures for cancer and, and uh, new technology and said, look, here, we'll trade this for something you don't need much of, you know, the, the seawater. And yeah. it was, it was, a, it was a lie. And, you know, the people of Earth, uh, even some of the good Jewish and Christian people said, wow, this is really, this is really good, you know. And uh, they started forming youth groups there to support uh, the visitors. That's what the V comes from, the visitors. And it's not like uh, conquerors or anything. V, visitor, means, oh, we're just stopping by. We'll help you while we're here. We're going to go on. But if you have, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation and the prophetic things that will happen and what will defeat Satan, of course, is the blood of our Messiah. And our Messiah, Jesus, is uh, a product of human DNA and God DNA. And in the movie, they have one little girl that turns out to be the product of human and alien DNA. And the blood of her twin baby, I think, that occurred with her is dried. And that dried blood can be synthesized. And if you spray it in the air, it, it touches the aliens and they melt and disappear. So it's their cinematic way of saying this is how the blood of our hybrid Messiah gets rid of, you know, Satan and evil. So he puts that in there in a manner that the the, the uh, general public, not Christian or Jewish in particular, will see and enjoy the plot and will have that planted in their subconscious. I think every every child in school, every teenager should be allowed or should be told to watch that miniseries to get yeah. an idea of what's coming. Do not be fooled. They are like Hitler in, in the in the series. You'll see how the, the aliens become very dictatorial and lie a lot. Uh, so anyway, that's why I've put that up there, because this is coming. There is no question about it, and I think we are extremely close to the time that they're going to announce this. Yeah, I agree, Stan. I mean, <laughs> kind of funny, it reminds me of an old Twilight Zone episode where uh, these tall alien beings arrived in these ships and they were friendly and, you know, they wanted them to, to, uh, meet the, uh, citizens of Earth. They wanted to take them up to their spaceship and go show them their planet and, uh, you know, give them tours and, and bring them back. And they go through this whole episode of, you know, little weird, strange things, but humans are getting on the ships and, and, uh, going to visit this planet. And right at, in, in the last scene, uh, there was a book that the aliens gave the humans. And the one lady read through the book, and at the very end of the book, she figured out uh, that that part of the book was the recipes on the best ways to cook humans. And these people had all gone into the ships, and they were going to be uh, the food for these aliens. And, you know, that, it's a, it's a, uh, I guess you'd say, what is it, an alleg- a metaphor, almost, for what we're talking about. But you talk when we talk about the predictive programming uh, aspect of this, 
Um, we've seen it all. It's in children's cartoons today. Uh, I, I was watching my nephews the other day. They had on some cartoon where, uh, I mean, we're talking cartoons for, you know, anywhere from two to five-year-olds, where this uh, character uh, merges with a computer and becomes, uh, you know, 100% active in brain activity and all this stuff and can do all the supernatural th- stuff. We're, we're being programmed uh, and, and pushed down this road. But my question is, where does the alien... Um, uh, invasion or or uh, disclosure and the uh, merging of uh, the technocracy, the merging of man with machines. They're going to come and present that as the you know the, as the answer, saying this is what we found as the way you know to whatever your utopia. Um, I, I can see that happening, and I can even more so see the people uh, killing each other to get there and and to, and to do that uh, to get that mark of the beast. You know, um, if you look at the situation across the, the countries, when I started the show with you today, I asked you if you were mad about, you know, the chaos in the various countries and how the people aren't happy with their leadership. We are at a point right now where there, Holly has this, I think, up on the uh, news site, uh, our standale.com site today. There are 15 points, one guy said, that could be trigger points for a revolution uh, in the United States. If it starts here, United States will go down first, and then there will be potential revolutions in all the other nations of the world. People will try to figure out how to overthrow their governments as well. People in the United States are not happy. Doesn't matter whether Democrat, Republican, or Independent, whatever. They're not happy. Um, as far as I can see, um, you know, I support uh, President Trump, but the fact that he's been allowed to get to that position and to say and do the things he's doing, he is making people like George Soros and the deep state laugh because. It is accelerating the discontent they want in this country with all politics, not just one party or one guy, with all politics. And in Germany, you know, Angela Merkel's country, they're they're pretty upset with her. Um, and you know, in England, uh, the uh, the parliament has its problems as well over Brexit and a lot of other things that are happening with the immigration imbalance there from from the Muslim world. And if you look at these things, you see that we are primed for a flashpoint. And that flashpoint will weaken the United States greatly. Uh, it, it, we can't be a house divided and, you know, help uh, Israel or any other country that we wish to, particularly Israel, obviously. Um, so watch for it happening. This year sometime, perhaps, or early next year, there's going to be one of these 15 crisis points that does flare up. And it's under, yeah, Holly says it's under alerts on the, the left, is it? You know, on the left of our home page. You gotta read this and see, and, and you will immediately recognize, good lord, these 15 points this guy makes are real and, and clear and present dangers. There's no exaggeration. You find it hard to disagree with any of them. America and, is a modern yeah. Babylon. Sorry, go on. No, that, that's just, that's funny you say that. I'm, that's exactly what I'm studying right now, and I've been researching, uh, you know, the, uh, prophecy of, of, in Babylon. Obviously, the physical place of Babylon, the original, uh, one world government, if you will, uh, or the biggest empire of its time was a physical place, but it is also a spiritual place and has that spirit of Antichrist with it. And I agree with you 100%. There's no way that America being the most uh, powerful and wealthiest nation, uh, creating the most industrial and technological revolutions that changed humanity uh, in the shortest amount of time, could not, there's no way that 
we're not in the Bible, and we are not a driving force toward, of the Antichrist agenda and seat of power. When we understand that all governments of the world, uh, of fallen man, uh, are corrupt and are owned and run by Satan, his seat of authority, and that's where you know we start to understand um, what direction we're headed in. And as we say, you know, I do support President Trump, but we need to understand that this world is run by Satan, and it is everything. Every institution of power is set up to control uh, and and and. Uh, to control the deception and, and uh, the the manipulation, and it is uh, he has done a great job. And even the layout of Washington D.C. Why is uh, D.C. and London and the Vatican all layered with symbolism from ancient Egypt and ancient Babylon? It doesn't make sense unless it's all interconnected. And I agree. I have a book I'm looking at again here, The Final Babylon, and it talks about America being uh, ba- Mystery Babylon or the daughter of Babylon, but. Um, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned that, but yes, we are, and the, you know, the, the the deception. I pray each and every day. We think it's bad now, but just imagine uh, the the souls that will be lost in in milliseconds. The 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 billions of souls that will be lost in those moments. It's so uh, inconceivable. Yeah, I know. Um, years ago, a friend of mine, Richard Coombs, uh, wrote a book called America: The Babylon, and. Uh, he detailed a lot of things from the Bible that point to America being the modern Babylon uh, and mentioned in the Revelation of John and its destruction, of course, in one hour by fire. Uh, that could either be nuclear, it could be, um, you know, stuff falling from space, it could be, you know, a meteor that breaks up and the hot meteor pieces cut, catch all the farms on fire. It could be an MP attack, which shorts out the power poles generating power all through the grid and they catch fire to the poles or the ground around them, the, the, the crops or the houses or whatever, and there won't be enough fire people and, and equipment to put out the fire. That could be it. It could also be where in the Revelation John it speaks of the light of the sun being seven times brighter and one third of the planet burning. Now that is an event that takes place quickly because one third of the planet is the amount of surface area that hits enough direct radiation from uh, gets enough direct radiation from the sun to burn it. Uh, Two thirds of the planet in that instant would not burn directly, but they would be overheated by what happens from that. Uh, probably a large coronal mass ejection and a solar flare reaches out and hits the Earth on one side, and that side could be the Pacific Ocean and part of um, America, if not all of it it could burn in an hour or less. So I'm just saying there's several causal factors that could fulfill that prophecy, but we are there. And the the world government, the deep state, wanted to use America to develop technologies and uh, so they could put them you know, aside and hide them in various places off the United States so that when they were through with the United States, they could destroy it. It was uh, an example to get rid of it. And uh, this gross capitalism and whatever. And what is left on the earth, the nations that are left, will fall in line more easily once the United States is gone. They'll be unhappy about it, really unhappy, because there won't be anybody to give them money and to help them and develop technologies, you know, and right. to keep the, 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 the killing the golden goose to let this happen. And you're right, Stan, about it being created and used uh, to set up, because uh, obviously the Antichrist does not want people to have freedom and liberty and constitutional rights 
when we look at, at what Nebuchadnezzar did when he uh, created the the image and, and said, you know, everybody in the world, when I ring the bell, you all, you will bow down to this uh, golden image. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow, and they were thrown into the fire. And they said that uh, regardless if they were thrown into the fire and if they were saved or not, that they would not, uh, you know, basically they would not go against God and his commandments and his will, uh, that they were going to stand strong. And and when we look at, at the world today and we see, uh, you know, how that, that kind of uh, conviction, only very little Christians have that conviction in this world we live in today. Now, if some calamity were to happen, I would say that many more would get much more serious about their faith. But, and as far as America being Babylon, being set up and used to get the authority, one of the great things and interesting things about the history of Babylon that's so well documented, it was a city, but it was also a nation. It was a city-state as well. And it was the capital of the military, political, and economic capital of the world. And that spirit transformed to different, as time progressed and as uh, uh, different empires overtook each other, um, you know, it, it just, uh, that spirit went with it. And with the dream of Nebuchadnezzar with the head of gold and the uh, legs of iron and the toes, the ten toes, uh, that's the progression of Babylon. It's, <clears throat> it's never died. So if Babylon has never died physically or spiritually, where is it today? And that's when we look at Jeremiah 50, <clears throat> excuse me. I came across this in a YouTube video I was watching the other day, and it's very specific in, uh, you know, what it says is going to happen, and it's very similar to what we see in our world today, where it talks about, um, how we have, or the nation of Babylon, uh, the daughter of Babylon has a mother. Your mother shall be confounded. She that bear you shall be ashamed. Behold, the hindermost of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. That word hindermost means last or the end. And if they're talking about nations, uh, we are the last, you know, superpower to ever to, to come into existence. And if we are in the end days, then that that's us. Just by uh, you know simple logic, uh, if I'm reading into this right. But there's so much more there, and doesn't it say in the book of revelations that the 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 woman um that the ten kings they hate the woman and they and they kill her i'm still trying to figure that one out but yes i believe we are in very prophetic times and and i just i get real frustrated when pastors when i ask people if america is in bible prophecy and they say no it's not because they the name isn't in there or the land mass isn't identified but I, this is a a topic that's been fascinating to me for so long and back to the babylon the city-state the three major world powers today city-states washington dc the military power london the financial power and rome the religious power and again they all have obelisks they all have all the uh, pagan and satanic symbolism from egypt and, and uh, through the the beginning of history of uh, these evil governments it's a big conspiracy and it's a it's a fun thing to uh, investigate and to research at the same time it's very eye-opening you know uh, mentioning Rome um, in 1978 there was uh, the Meadows report on the limits to growth uh, that the Club of Rome paid for now I mentioned this and I list the countries that, and how they've been divided up on the planet in 1978 
by the Club of Rome into ten regional states for the whole planet. Now, the ten kings uh, would be kings of those ten regions, if that's the model they use today, which is very, very probable. Um, if the United States is taken out, then there will be one of the other nation states uh, in the ten that they have now, regions, that will take its place. But they will have ten regions that have common socioeconomic uh, factors, and uh, these ten regions will be controlled by one central place. Page 200 uh, in the Cosmic Conspiracy that I wrote in 1978 shows the map of which countries belong to what region. And in the few pages before page 200, I list each region, you know, print in text, showing which nations today are part of the new region states of the world then, or now. Um, this has all been, uh, you know, done on computer. It's uh, It's been modeled uh, to the nth degree to show how uh, they can run these ten regions and make everybody happy in those regions. Now, although it will be a world government, there will be ten socioeconomic regions that are different. They have different characteristics. Strangely enough, South Africa and Israel were put into the same group. I think it was group four, region four, but anyway, why uh, Israel and South Africa would have the same problem, I'm not sure, but they, they did group it that way. The the chaos that we are seeing at the moment does tell me that we've reached a point where first America has to be taken out, and secondly, the other crisis curves that have nuclear war in the Middle East is spreading. Um, water shortage, fresh water shortage is uh, a serious growing problem, drought. In fact, you'll see in uh, slide 48 where I've got uh, the current drought uh, map, and you can link to that site to see the drought of the world. And fresh water, I mean, we have less than 2% of the water on the planet is you know, viable, drinkable water, fresh water. Uh, a lot of the aquifers are being drained in, in Africa and other countries in South America. People, depending on the groundwater, are finding the groundwater is not being replenished, and their wells are failing. Now, I, I've talked to people about this you know, directly, so I know it's not just the, the media doing this. I've been corresponding with three uh, uh, drilling companies right now in Tanzania over a project we're doing over there. And um, we're trying to get water to 350 homes over there. Uh, you know, and the problem is that we're measuring how much water is in this volcanic cone that we're going to use to see how long it will last. And we're hoping it'll last two or three years. But if they don't get rain to replenish that, they're not going to be able to maintain water. Right now, many of them, most of them, in fact, have to send somebody in their family, uh, either with a, a bicycle with carry cases, or uh, if you've got a vehicle, great, or if you've got a donkey, even better, to collect 20 to 40 liters, you know, like 5 to 10 gallons of water every day at the start of the day for the water the household is going to use. That's for cooking, for bathing, for, you know, brushing your teeth, for washing your hands. I mean, all this stuff uh, is done manually because they have to go so far to find a well that's working. So freshwater shortage is going to drive us into a couple of very serious situations with people becoming desperate to survive, trying to attack neighboring properties that have water to get it, uh, na- neighboring countries as well. Crops are failing or not appearing at all. Even now, the, this strange heat weather we're having from, you know, from the climate change is affecting many gardens uh, and orchards here in the United States. We've talked to a few of them here. Like ours, uh, it's making the crops uh, grow stunted. It's making them mature very late. 
um, you know, our tomato crops here and over east and, uh, and in California as well, the tomatoes are very small and uh, not so numerous. And we've had, I think, seven ripe tomatoes come off of all of our bushes so far this year. It's just, you know, leading to the problem of famine. It's going to strike even America. Food is going to go up in price and be much more scarce while we have this water problem. And that's the sun. Uh, yeah, the water wars. Uh, we've seen, and I've heard uh, a lot about that. What is it? Uh, Lake Michigan, I believe, the company Nestle. And this was something that Jesse Ventura, when he did a TV show, which I can't remember the name of right now, um, he talked about the sale of fresh water by, I think it was 400 tons at a time, uh, by Nestle to China. And uh, somehow they, Nestle owned some of the rights to that water. But the, the, uh, it's so important that we find ways to store and, and purify water while we have the resources and the availability to do so now. Because whenever those times of trouble come and say the supplies cut off, uh, you know, we can look power. It, it, you know, we'll have to make some adjustments. We'll have to learn how to use the land for refrigeration and whatnot. But without the water, uh, you know, the three days, and it's not just the, for drinking, you know, obviously cleaning and, and everything else, but, uh, the water wars are real. And, uh, it, it, when you see the government, uh, instituting things like the Clean Water Act, you know, any stream that might have already been in your backyard or a ditch that has water in it is now, uh, you know, basically owned by the EPA. They're, they're federalizing all the waterways or have federalized all the waterways in America. You're not even allowed to collect rainwater, uh, that falls on your property or you are guilty of a federal crime. I mean, it's crazy to think about, but that's what they've done. And it's, uh, it's pretty unfortunate, but there's ways around that. And uh, we need to use our good old-fashioned uh, ingenuity and uh, our creativity, and we can figure out ways to uh, use the water that is naturally all around us and, and does fall, at least where we live here. And Stan, i got to tell you, anything I throw in, my, in the ground in my garden here is just, it's unbelievable how big and how fast these, and I use all organic uh, stuff, but uh, I, I don't know what it is this year about the soil, but my plants are booming up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, man, yeah. Uh, like I've never well, seen. It may change. Uh, I know that there's an El Nino predicted for uh, this next year. And if we swing that way with the weather coming off the Pacific, then places like Colorado, high desert here in Arizona, we're going to get more rain in an El Nino, which means it's probably going to steal from you guys. So maybe next year will be when your crops get impacted. But it's crazy. It's it's affecting economies all over the world. And after visiting Tanzania and, and being there in the streets with people that are so poor that they don't have, you know, running water in their homes and Food is at a premium, and transport, I mean, taxis are little motorbikes that people, you jump on the back of a motorbike, some guy takes you somewhere for conserving fuel and stuff. Seeing life firsthand like that, you know, brings it home to, to me and everybody that was on the trip with us that uh, we live in a fool's paradise over here. The rest of the world is dying, and it's going to catch us shortly, one way or another. Um, yeah. 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 Babylon is going to fall. Yes, it is. And, 
we need to understand, and this is why I find it so fascinating, because of the, you know, if we are Babylon, obviously we're, we're not going to get warning or have time to get out as we would be destroyed. And, and you know, when we see the similarity, what other nation, if it were taken out in an instant, would all the, the other nations weep because of the money they made from the merchandise? I mean, there's just so many things we could go over. I plan on doing a, a study on that one day, but I just... I find it fascinating, and uh, prophecy come to life. Uh, but on, on a side note, Stan, there's an article I see on Drudge today about the embassy in Jerusalem, and somebody's making an issue about it costing a hundred times more than President Trump expected. But that's only equating to a few million dollars, uh, $21 million more. Um, ABCnews.com is reporting that uh, President Donald Trump may have written the book on deal-making, but when it comes to the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem, it appears he won't be getting the bargain he wanted. And anyways, uh, the project is going to... The contract is for $21.2 million uh, to design and build, in addition, and compound security upgrades to the embassy. Now, anyways, they're uh, making an issue. As Trump said, he thought... Uh, you know, he could do it for a few hundred thousand dollars, which obviously isn't a real estimate, but... Um, you know, whatever it is he does, uh, even though the people in Israel love it and would probably pay for it out of their own pocket, uh, they're, they're taking issue with it. But interesting that they have, uh, got the contract already. Yeah. Um, you know, President Trump is a, a light in a very dark world. And, you know, the forces, uh, arrayed against him and people that side with him are so great, so numerous, that we will not um, prevail in the short term. But with the Messiah's help later, obviously the planet will be put to right and the evil in this world will be gotten rid of. But in the meantime, we have this this brief respite of two to eight years that President Trump is going to do the right thing. That man has been groomed for this by the good Lord since he was very young. You can see this in some of the video interviews of him when he was, you know, 30, 40 years uh, younger. And uh, I marvel at the fact he's, he's been he's been built for this job he's doing now, and the good Lord has blessed him in that respect and those around him. And he doesn't so even take a salary. No, I mean, and, and yet he's looked on as some great villain. Uh, you know, many presidents were rich as they uh, attained that office. But Pre President Trump's the only one that is, is donating all of his salary. When he could have just retired, he didn't need it to be, uh, you know, demonized every single day of his life. Um, he, he could have lived the rest of his life the way he lived uh, for the last 20 years in, in luxury. And he's put himself through this, and I believe it is for uh, not only his own legacy, but he wants to do as much as he can to help the average American out there. You know, uh, I agree completely, um, and uh, certainly uh, I didn't talk about this with his uncle, uh, Professor Trump, or Dr. John Trump, when we met, but uh, that was years ago in Boston in the early 80s. But even with his uncle's help, uh, I was able to um, to go ahead and develop some ways to make alternate energy in uh, either using it while we're still a you know, viable country or afterwards when the country has been destroyed. I think that we're going to... Uh, see the populations uh, gather around various little cities or various little communities that develop around people who have uh, food and water and power. 
Now, power uh, is like solar power, uh, maybe the power system we were talking about with the Moray device and, and Dr. Trump's uh, help on that. Um, the These devices, uh, whether it be solar or diesel or whatever, are are going to be prone to destruction by an EMP, either by the sun or by nuclear warfare. So it is important, vitally important, for reconstruction of what's left of America to have working power centers. And those power centers will be what people that survive this collapse of America will gather around to start rebuilding, you know, pretty primitive industry to start with, to start with, but also crops and things that they will grow and water that they will use. Um, that uh, slide 47, that uh, new device we've got there, that EMP shield, we've got a portable one now then. And those things uh, means you can take it with you and plug into anything that's got uh, ground and uh, two wire, you know, for the, for the AC to go through. Protect all of these power systems with, you know, a ground cable and an EMP shield, whether you wire it in or use a plug adapter like this. Um, if you don't have those power uh, supplies saved through whatever comes, it won't matter how many computers or electronic things or radios or whatever you've got, they, they'll, they'll run down if they even work, and there won't be replacements. You've got to protect them as well as the power source, and as many of those things that we can protect along with the power sources will be what these little spots of reconstruction will be formed around. They're like a, like a, you know, a small particle that the snowflake builds around. We've got to preserve these now. And I've been uh, talking with a number of um, uh, people and companies and uh, and uh, religious organizations that are preparing. And these are things, uh, important things that we've discussed about protecting our power and our local infrastructure to make primitive industry reappear after the collapse of America. Um, it's coming. And, and you know, the air. Yeah, go on. No, I mean your your products, Dan, and, and uh, what you've been able to do here is uh, it's just so fascinating and such a simple way to uh, protect yourself. And uh, the people need to take advantage of this, especially if you're in a location of your uh, where you plan if something were to happen. You know, people have bug out locations. Get one for there too. Get one just in case. Just put it in your trunk, um, and, and you know, uh, this thing could save lives. This thing could. Uh, it can do a lot in in the uh, potential EMP uh, uh, threat that is out there, both man-made and uh, solar-made. <laughs> but mm. it is uh, uh, just a, a great innovative piece of equipment stand that does so much. If the right things happen, just that little piece of equipment can make a whole world of difference. You know, that uh, picture I've got up there in slide 47 is of the new thing we've just finished. A civilian version of what we were designed for the Air Force by their request. Uh, they wanted these uh, portable units in, in a slightly different configuration, but the same concept. So we are helping uh, our military and our government with these uh, kind of protection, but this is available to the individual, and it's probably one of the easiest ones we've ever done because you just got to plug it into a grounded power system. Like, you know, you can see the, the plug on the end of it. You, you don't have to get an electrician or anything. You just plug it in. And I don't know that we can do anything more to make it simple enough uh, for people to use. Anyway, you've got a, you've got a link to our thing on your website. I think that where the people get yes, that coupon. Yeah, Eric uh, uh, built a beautiful little ad there and graphic. I'm sorry, it's mm-hmm. a GIF. He says, 
but yeah, and an EMP shield makes it easy to, to do that, and you can get a discount um, by going through that link. So make sure there it is, right there on the right. Fifty dollars off the purchase of an e, uh, EMP shield with promo code Hagman. And we uh, thank you, Stan, for uh, you know making that discount for our audience, and we thank you again for another uh, great show. You have a great rest of your week holly too and we will talk next week as you say lord willing lord willing god bless you now god bless you too stan bye-bye all right that was a great show we will be back tomorrow with the doug hagman show at 9 a.m the hagman daily show at 2 and then we'll be back here at 7 p.m have a great night 